started. Um, this is Joe. You know Joe. Uh, we're really excited to get to do this together. So, okay, as we start, a couple things. Do you have your note packet? I told you we got a lot to do today, so we're jumping in. Um, go ahead and flip over to the back. Don't, don't dig way deep into this, but I just want you to get familiar with what we're doing here. Just flip it over. It's on the back. You see the resources listed there. Um, these are all some things. A lot of this has informed some of the stuff we're going to say today, um, but certainly there's more in-depth stuff here than we're going to talk about today. I would encourage you to check this stuff out. Uh, a lot of it is really good. It's been helpful to us. All of it is really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. All of it's really good. Um, so I would encourage you, you know, if one of these categories, especially as we talk about it today, is like, man, I want to dive into that more or get a little bit more in-depth behind what Ben and Joe said, this is a good place to go. Um, specifically, though, I'm going to give you some homework coming out of today, okay, that I really want you to do. Um, a few different places here, we point to a website called moralrevolution.com, uh, or is it .org? I have it. It should be .com because I copy-pasted that, so... Um, I have it as .org somewhere else, but follow the link here. Um, that is an organization we weren't familiar with really before starting to dig into preparing for this. And a lot of their stuff has been so, so, so good. Um, it's kind of built out of the um, Bethel Church, like Redding, California. So it has some of that bent to it with its good things and the things that I just want to like, be aware that's where it comes from, which is great. Um, but we found it super helpful. So your homework is go to that website and just poke around for a while and find something that's like speaks to your season or speaks to a question or speaks to something you're dealing with or struggling with. Find something and just dig in there. I think you'll find it really, really helpful, and this would be a great resource um, for you. They've got podcasts and stuff as well, but we found it to be really good stuff. So that's homework for you okay um so what we're going to do through this handout is each major section is framed up as a question um so you can see that first one like what is purity and then the rest of the big categories we're just trying to hit questions that we think could be brought up on this topic so that's kind of how we're um how we're going to move through this handout so here's kind of an intro preface for you okay uh we know that a lesson like this has lots of landmines in it, probably. Um, I'm, I would imagine that a lot of you guys, even when you saw this on the curriculum schedule when I passed that out whenever it was ago, saw that one and are like, oh, I wonder if I'm gonna be gone that day. Like you've been nervous or uncomfortable. I, I would like to be gone that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just want you to know, we know that it, even seeing something like that coming is like, I wonder what they're gonna talk about. I wonder if I'm gonna feel guilty. I wonder if they're gonna, be judgmental or I wonder if it's going to be convicting or I just don't want to deal with that or it's at least going to be awkward. Uh, we get all of that. We feel all of that. We know. We're just going to do our best to try to talk about this in helpful and healthy ways, kind and gentle and loving ways um, because I think it's just too important not to talk about. So I think the risk with some of this stuff, we talked about this a little bit with the Pilgrim's Progress tension too of like Back in that generation, there was a lot more like, stop sinning. And now it's like, grace is so available. It's like, yeah, both of those things are really true. Um, so even with this, I think there's a tendency to say, purity culture has been so harmful. And modesty conversations have been so demeaning. I get all of that. And also, those things are biblical and matter. Um, so we just think this conversation is too important not to try to have. Does that, does that make sense? So we're going to try to have it. We're going to do our best with language. We're going to do our best... Um, to help us grow in these areas, all of us, because I think it's worth it. Um, so we just want you to know, too, like I said, we're going to do our best with language. We're going to do our best to do it. 
if we don't do well, help us do better. We, we would love to know if it's like, hey, that doesn't make sense, or that's not clear, or that language isn't, it's kind of like, I'm struggling with that, can you expound, help us do better? We welcome that, okay. And there's a, there's a lot of material to get through today, and so some of that stuff may not necessarily be you raising your hand, it may be, let's have a conversation later, mm-hmm. and let's kind of dig into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, a couple of things that I want to say as we get started um, is, again, I know this conversation can feel like, oh, no, we're going to talk about it and it's going to be heavy. There probably will be some of that. But we want this to be like an inspiring and encouraging mm-hmm. conversation. This isn't a we're going to talk about sinful, terrible things. If that's the tone of this conversation, I think we've done it wrong. I want the tone of this conversation to be like, look what God has made available to us. Let's step into that and lean into that. Look what God continues to make available to us. Let's lean into that. I think this is a good gift, a good like category of living and thriving in him that we want to lean into. So I want this to be like inspirational and encouraging and hopeful and exciting. That's our prayer. That's our heart. That's our hope. That's what we're going to kind of talk toward today. Um, so again, if you're coming into it feeling apprehensive, try to try to set that aside and let the Spirit um, speak in it. Um, I want to say specifically... Um, because I know when you see that word purity, when I see that word purity, purity is not like purity equals not lust. It's not the same. It's not like it's a bigger category than that. When we talk about purity, it's not just like stop lusting or don't look at pornography or if you've had sex outside of marriage, it's bad. Those things are part of it. But purity is a bigger conversation than that. So we want to talk about that. Purity is not like does not equal to virginity. It's a bigger conversation than that. That's a piece of it, but it's a bigger conversation than that. So again, we want to we want to talk about gospel hope that's involved in this, sanctifying power that the Spirit does in this for us, and lean into that, hopefully and beautifully, because I think God makes that available to us. Mm-hmm. The, the last thing I want to say, and then I'll let Joe speak in a little bit, is um, there's a reason we put this talk in the spiritual formation unit of our curriculum. Like, that's what we're still talking about. That's our category. So think of this conversation in that category. We're talking about how our souls are formed to reflect the image of Christ into the world. This is a piece of that that he invites us into and work that he does in us to make that possible. So think of it in that framework, not in a sin framework, but in a the invitation of the Holy Spirit to form us into godliness, mm-hmm. which is such a beautiful opportunity that we all have, right? So lean into that um, side of this conversation. Is that making sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing we would say is like this isn't just for you personally so listen like as somebody who's learning personally but also listen as a leader because these are conversations you're going to be having with students you're going to be having with parents in your ministry you're going to have with people you know sitting at your small group table in your home like these are conversations that um, are just <laughs> so key um to discipleship um and like we said it's beyond just anything um sexual this is like holiness that is just like pervasive in every part of our life integrity Mm -hmm. in every part of our life and so that also feels like very broad so we're not going to be able to hit every topic today Mm -hmm. um you know like ben when we were praying this morning ben's like this is a snapshot in your old discipleship you know this we're not going to get it all today but we're going to we're going to try and touch on a lot of things but this is not, you know, the definitive word on everything. So. Mm-hmm. So the long disclaimer, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we it's just good. know it's important. Yeah. Okay. Um so let's start walking through this year. Um like I said, this is kind of broken up into different sections, different questions we're going to try to answer. So, so the first your one is, out. yeah, we're going to start biblically here. 
um, and just try to talk about what is purity. Like we said, it's bigger than just the thing you might think initially. It's a broad conversation. So let's look at scripture. These are obviously not all of the scriptures that we could go to to talk about this. I think some of these may, may not even be the ones I initially think of as the purity texts or something, which is, I think, helpful, like to broaden and say, what does God have for us? So let's look at Psalm 119. Uh, starting in verse 9, we'll look at a couple different sections of Psalm 119. Can somebody tell me, in, like in big picture, what is Psalm 119 generally about? What's it about? The law. Yeah, it's like God's word. So it's a, a, every section of it is about how good God's law is, how good God's gifts are, how good his precepts are, his statutes. They use all, so many different synonyms. So it's all about falling in love with what God has said. So I love even then finding a lot of purity language in that context. The context isn't just relational. It's not just romantic. It's not just any, the context is I'm going to pursue doing what God has said. Part of that is he does this to our life, which I think is beautiful. So um, let's look at Psalm 119, starting in verse nine. I'll read a few verses. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, So here's your fill in the blanks for this. I'm going to talk around these verses. Purity is not a status. Purity is not a status. It's a way of life. It's not a status. It's a way of life. So when we're talking about purity today, again, don't hear this like you were pure and now you're not. Or you can be pure, but if you cross this line, you no longer are. That's not what purity is. Purity is not just a status that you keep or lose. Purity is a way of life that you walk. Um, so even in these verses, I see it. Like, how can a young man keep his way pure? So um, in this translation, I'm reading from the old NIV, by the way. You know, it says, mine says, how can a young man keep his way pure? When I first read that, that sounds like, so you better stay pure or else you lost it. As I look at the Hebrew, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Best I can gather from digging into this a little bit, though. It's not so much about you better stay on this or else you lost it. It's, uh, it's more the sense of like, how can you cleanse the way that you're walking? Does that make sense? So it's less about you better not stray or you've lost it. And it's more about like, how can you make sure that continually you're allowing someone to cleanse this way for you? Does, it, does that make sense? So it's not so much of like lost it, kept it. It's more of like invite God into cleansing the way that you're walking on an ongoing kind of basis. Um, by living according to your word, it says that's an active thing it's not like I made one choice and now I'm good or I crossed one finish line so I'm good it's a constant living according uh, according to his way it's like a path that you're walking that word living according to your word has a lot of overtones of like keeping watch or guard towers those kinds of things and in other contexts where it's used so I love that it's not just like you better obey the rules but it's like no keep a watch stay on guard because there's an enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion for one thing and because life is like it's a narrow path isn't it so I love that, that image. It's not just like you better live right, but it's like, man, as you're living, like have someone up in that watchtower and keep an eye on where you're going, keep an eye on what's coming at you so that you can continue to walk in a way that God is cleansing so that you can walk in his ways. Um, so that's the first one. Purity is not just a status that you lose or keep. It's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing, like every day you can choose. I want to walk in purity today. God, purify me today. Create in me a clean heart today so that I can move forward in a new way. Um, it's not just a one-time lost or kept thing. On the next one, just a, a few verses down, Psalm 119, I'm in verse 33. Here's what it says. I'll kind of read this whole section. It says, Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. 
I love this, by the way, that it's not, again, it's not just like, help me follow the rules so that everything's okay. It's like, I delight in what God has to say. I love this song. It just helps us inspire me for scripture, I think. Verse 36, turn my heart toward your statutes, like my affection, my heart, my desires toward your statutes, not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that they may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. Um, so here are your blanks for this, and I want to talk about a, a couple things in these verses. Purity will give you life and freedom. Purity will give you life and freedom. So again, think of purity not just in a sexual sense, not just in a romantic sense. Think of it in the broad, like my heart is purely devoted to him in all aspects. When you live that way, it gives you life and freedom. And you guys know this, I think, right? Like when your life really is in purity and in holiness and you're just seeking him with all your devotion, isn't it so much more free, like so much more life-giving, so many fewer burdens and worries and insecurities? That's what God has available to us. Again, it's not like, do the right thing. It's like, look what I have over here. Step into it. It's so good. Um, so purity will give you life um, and freedom. I want to point out in verse 37 and in verse 40, um, my version says um, in both of those places, preserve my life. Do you see that? Preserve my life according to your word. I think it's interesting in these verses, in the context of these verses, the, again, kind of the Hebrew overtones, best I can dig into them. It's less about like, when I first read that on first glance in English, I think like, keep me from dying. Like when Mm -hmm. I see preserve my life, like help me not die. I think the sense is a little bit more like, make me alive, give me life, like breathe life into me. Does that make sense? It's less about keep me from bad and more about like, inspire me towards what's possible. And so I think that's a beautiful, again, the opportunity of this isn't avoiding bad things. It's stepping into the good that God has. And I love that kind of overtone here. Another thing I found really interesting uh, in this section, um, well, for one, let me just talk about verse 37. I don't, I don't have this um, like a ton deep to say about it, but let's just kind of meditate for a minute on turn my eyes away from worthless things. Let's talk about that in the context of purity. Again, I think the easy place to go with that would be um, like the things we watch that are are blatantly sinful or pornography that gets us, you know, trapped in lust or whatever. Like those things are worthless. There's so many other things that are worthless, you know, that again, purity is bigger than just the, the sexuality conversation. So many worthless things steal our time, steal our attention. And that may not feel impure if we have the general overtones we think. But what that's doing is polluting, distracting, giving you other affections, other devotions that as they progress are idolatrous, right? Like we wouldn't say that necessarily, but when your devotions go to just worthless things that aren't giving you the same kind of life that God has to offer, that's not helpful. It doesn't give you life and freedom. It gives you enslavement and boredom and distraction and worthlessness. Um, so I just... I want to meditate on that call. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. What am I looking at that's valuable and has worth and has help and has life? And I think it's just a good word um, for us today. Uh, Here's the other thing I want to point out, verse 39, where he says, Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. Other translations say like reproach instead of disgrace, um, which is a fancy Bible-y word. Um, But basically what that is is like um, the social or emotional consequences of your actions or things that have happened to you or things about you. Um, basically so like you would be to to be in reproach is like a basically like a social status you would have had back then when it says this so like keep me from living in reproach 
because I have done wrong or because somebody did something to me that was unjust or because I was born with a deformity or because like you fill in the blank with those kinds of things. I think we get it. Um, but it's like a, it's a status that you would have taken on because of things you did or that happened to you. Some that were in your control, some that were out, some that were sin, some that were unjust and unfortunate. But I, I love, so I think we understand that concept. I think we probably can live in that concept. The social construct doesn't exist maybe to the same depth as it did back then, but I, I think we're there, right? Like fill in maybe shame would probably be our modern word for it. But here's what I love. It says, take away the disgrace I dread for your laws are good. So what's kind of the, the flip side of this? The state of shame, reproach, disgrace we could live in, the way that we find life and freedom from that is God's ways are good. So again, this isn't like, you better follow my rules so that you don't be miserable. The heart of this, I think, coming from the Lord is, I have so much good for you. And the psalmist praising him that like, I dread these things that could happen. I dread these things that people could think about me or see about me or that I would feel about myself and categorize myself. I don't want that. I fear that. I dread that. None of you guys want the things that come with living an impure life in any category. We don't want that stuff. The way we avoid that is saying God has good for us. He's inviting us into good things, into open pastures. His way is good, and it prevents the things you don't want. So again, see it as an invitation into good and not a standard to to punish you when you break it. Is that making sense? Yeah? Okay. Um, Next one. Uh, On verse 35 of this passage, um, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it is what Mm -hmm. my version says the nlt if anybody has that it says this is where my happiness is found mm-hmm. um the path of your commandments is where my happiness is found and we know his path is narrow we know mm-hmm. that path is very narrow and it's hard to stay on that path but that is where happiness is found and so um you think of it as like um like a dog um if you don't have a fence for them if you don't have a leash for them what happens to them like Unless they're just, like, really old and don't move at all, they are going to die. Like, they're going to run out in the road. They're going to run away. They're going to get hit by a car. Like, there is not life out there. And so there, if you have a fence, if you have parameters and boundaries for this dog that you love, there's more room in the fence than beyond it. Like, there's more life in the fence than beyond it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what verse 35 is kind of of saying, I'm just like, this is where my happiness is found, is in the path of your commandments. Um, all right, we'll turn to our next verse, which is Hebrews 13, 4. Um, Hebrews 13, 4. And I will say, we've prepared a lot for this, and I, like, wanted to be part of this lesson so badly, and I hadn't, like, really imagined this, like, I am going to get up here and talk to you all about sex, and I didn't really picture the interaction until just right now um (laughs) but this was several years ago Kyle did a sermon series and um I think it was called hot summer nights and he wore sunglasses for any time something was uncomfortable he just put on sunglasses and was like I totally get that all right so so, do you remember a few weeks ago when he wore sunglasses because of his eye surgery I didn't know any of that and I was walking around and I saw in there and I was like what is he preaching on today because that that was my only context it was like oh no different thing Yeah. yeah Um, All right, so let me just read um, this verse for us, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Uh, Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be held undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Um, And so, you know, we've said today, like, sex and marriage are not all of purity. 
Um, but it is an important facet of it. And so this is um, one of the big parts where we're certainly going to talk about that. And so um, this idea of holding marriage in honor um, and not just those who are married um, to one another, like holding your own personal marriage in honor, but all. It should be held in honor among all. And so if we think about that, just like how differently would our world look if, especially within the church, marriage was this thing that was honored. And so it's like, I'm never going to do something to defile somebody else's marriage. I'm going to honor that. I'm going to do things that would encourage their bond to be strong. Because when when our marriages are successful, we know from um, Ephesians 5 that lives out the mystery of the gospel to the world. And it makes them understand like unconditional love is possible. Sacrifice is possible. There is a God who has this love story for me personally. And so that is like God chose to use families to demonstrate some of his attributes in ways like that. And so when we can show that to the world, it is so powerful. And think about how many how many lives are broken because of broken marriages, whether that's um, those who are divorced, children of divorce, family members, you know, like people in your life, um, that it, it alters our world so um, terribly. And so, um, when, especially among the church, if marriage is held in honor of all, that, um, that just lives out the gospel in a different way. And so um, that's not only just honoring the marriages of others, not only honoring your own, but like honoring just like future marriages of just like, like the people I'm interacting may be married someday and I don't want their marriage bed to be undefiled. I don't want them taking something into marriage um, that uh, that would just um, create just a distance between them and God, would create shame, would create brokenness in some way. And so... Um, yeah, we just want to live where um, that that term, like the marriage bed. And so it's like the the things that are reserved, like literally and metaphorically um, for marriage, that those things are just sacred. And we treat those like with just such dignity. It's just like, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but it's like I don't want to be entertained by things that should only happen in a marriage bed. Um, I, I don't want to... Um, give away just pieces of my heart emotionally to people that it should only happen within a marriage. And so um, for those of you who will be married someday, like that decision to honor your marriage, to protect your marriage, it starts now. It doesn't start when you start dating that person. It starts um, way beyond, uh, way before that. And so, um, I mean, gosh, there, there is like this fight um, for your purity. Um, there's this fight against Satan and it's like uh, just like managing um, managing your desires managing your interactions with other people and it's like it's costly Um, and so I think what is so beautiful about that is that um, when you are fighting for it like you have a gift when you get married that it costs so much of like if the ring Ben gave me when he proposed cost him five bucks that somebody loaned him like it wouldn't mean that much to me but it that's a funny story of like what it actually costs you um but like it was a costly gift he gave me and so the marriage bed is a costly gift to give um to give your spouse and so I think it's just it's just so powerful when you get to that honeymoon suite to have a gift of just like before I before I even knew you I chose you over and over again 
um, I protected this, I fought for this, like this was hard. I worked for this. Um, I said no to things that I wanted. I said no to things that could have been in secret that other people wouldn't have even known about, but I want to be able to have this gift to offer um, that it, it's uh, just so powerful to be able to bring um, that to someone else. Um, and like we said, virginity does not equal purity. Um, you can be a virgin and not walking in purity, and you cannot be a virgin and walking in purity. And so those are choices we make now, um, choices over and over again. Like we said, it's not a status. It is a lifestyle that we're keeping. Um, and so beyond that, it's not just um, offering something if you do get married someday, but it's offering to the Lord of just like, God, I'm choosing you over and over again. This is something I'm fighting for hard, and I have a gift, a sacrifice to offer to you. Um, like it's, uh, our, our purity is just like any other um, desires, um, any other choices we're making. Like when we have the choice to disobey, then when we do obey, it's just such a more powerful thing that we're honoring the Lord with. Um, like we're just choosing him over and over again. We're um, pursuing him over and over again. Yeah, we're loving him the most. That's good. Yeah. So your blank there is purity, honors, and upholding marriages. Thank you. you know, yeah. and, uh, um, we spoke around that. And, and I would say, you know, um, this kind of goes both ways too, like not just in mar- it, the, the, the marriage thing, concept, idea, construct is so important. To, I mean, think of how many youth ministry issues we wouldn't be dealing with at the same level if yeah. the marriages of their parents were healthy. Like, it's just good for marriage to be good for everybody. But I would say... Like it's important for people to honor all of our all of one another's purity, and it upholds the health of relationships and society and church family. You're able to be family when we're all fighting and striving for the health of each other's relationships, single, married, or otherwise. Um, it just makes for a healthy family, you know, in, here in the church. So it's good. Um, okay, the next next passage, Second Timothy, um, and we'll start in two fifteen because that's what we do. Um, the Second Timothy two fifteen. And then a few verses after that. The, the reason I want to read 2.15 is not just because it's like on our wall and it's our thing. But I think that verse as immediate context for the verses we're going to read after, I think are, are just particularly helpful and hopefully inspiring for this room. Challenging, good reminder for us. So 2 Timothy 2.15, um, and then we'll jump down to verse 20. I would read you the whole section, but we got a, you got a whole packet here today. So we're going to do 15, and then we're going to jump down to 20. Uh, So here's what Paul says to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So he's going to go on and give Timothy more instructions. So that's the context. Paul challenging Timothy, reminding Timothy who he is, reminding Timothy what his role is in the church. This is like prepare yourself to be a good servant, right? So skip down a few verses to, to verse 20. Connected to that in Paul's mind, it's not very far removed that he then goes into this little um, conversation. He says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, so cleanse yourself from ignoble things, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There's that word, pure heart. So you see how that, like, Paul is continuing his whole, hey, you want to be a minister? Here's how you present yourself as an approved worker. There's lots of things he says. This is some of it. So let's kind of talk about these verses a little bit. Here's your first fill-in-the-blank. Purity has to do with being unpolluted. It has to do with being unpolluted. 
Um, so we can keep this in the broad perspective of the word purity we've been talking about. It has to do with being unpolluted. Um, but Paul uses that word in verse 22, like um, flee evil desires, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So when you have a pure heart, it's undivided, it's unpolluted. That word pure is used a lot for like purifying metal, that kind of stuff in Greek. So you want to get the, the stuff that's not gold out of the gold. Like when you melt it, that stuff kind of rises to the top. You skim it off. Now you've got pure gold that's prettier, shinier, more valuable, all those things. So he calls us to have pure hearts that are unpolluted, that don't have other stuff mixed in. And, and again, I think this is something we all want. Nobody would say, you know what I'd love to have is a polluted heart, you know, or like my heart is just full of nasty stuff, but it's okay. I just weed through it. Like, no, you don't want that. Um, so I, I love this call. It can be hard. It can be convicting or uncomfortable sometimes, whatever, but embrace the beauty of it. Like Paul calling Timothy, me calling you, God calling all of us, be ministers, be workers, be children of God with a pure, undivided, unmixed, unpolluted devotion. Flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue faith, righteousness, peace, purity. It's so good. We want it. I just love this call for us. Flee and pursue. It's both of those things. Um, but purity has to do with being unpolluted. So unmixed, unwatered down, undiluted, just purely focused. So find those things in your life that create pollution, you know, um, in you. And that's a, that list is different for everybody. You know, I, I'm not going to give you a, like, so here's the things to avoid for pollution. I think you probably know the kinds of things or the spirit could reveal to you the kinds of things that when you walk away, you're just like, ah, I'm going to feel like I got to do some heart detox now, you know, mm. let the Holy Spirit bring that stuff up and don't put it in, you know, uh, to start with, which is way easier said than done. Um, we know, we know that, but flee and pursue purity to be unpolluted and unmixed instead. There was, um, I was reading some research about like oxygen um, and it said like the average of like oxygen, the oxygen level um, in the world is like 20%, I think. Um, And in cities, it was like 15 and in polluted areas, it was like 12 and you have to have at least 7% to live. So it's like all of those areas, like you can live, like you will be able to live and keep going um because the polluted area it's above the seven percent but like they said they think a lack of oxygen it creates like problems like your tissue isn't getting enough so you can't like heal from injuries fast enough Mm -hmm. gabby's nodding over here with me (laughs) um you they think like cancer can be linked to just like a decreased level of oxygen in our world it was just like oh my gosh and so it's like yeah i can live i can live as long as it's above seven what kind of life am I actually living? Mm-hmm. Like, am I sick? Am I hurt? Am I broken? Like, gosh, we, we need it. So, yeah, purity has to do with being unpolluted. Um, I, I, think this, I think this is true, but I'm not, I don't know. I think LeBron sleeps in, like, a super oxygenated chamber or something during the basketball season. For that, like, faster recovery, better lung health, all that stuff. World-class athlete, it's a little ridiculous. But, there, I mean, there's something to that, right? Like, there's a reason he looks and acts like he does, and he's the age he is playing at the level he does. Unpolluted, yeah. deeper, more air yeah. can give you life. You know? uh, the verse in James 1, you may know the beginning of it. I always know the beginning of it. Religion that is pure and faultless is this, to take care of widows and orphans and to be unpolluted by the world. And that happens so easy like you said you just come away from something it's like man I got a detox from that like sometimes it's like sometimes I just 
listen to a little bit of John Mayer and it's like, oh, he's so good. But then I'm like, ooh, I just, I don't know. I just feel a little weird. You know, it's like I got to detox from that. So it's like I've got to be unpolluted by the world. So we don't listen to John Mayer a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's your next one uh, from this Second Timothy passage. Purity is directly related to usefulness. Purity is directly related to usefulness. Everything okay back there? Yes. Oh, okay. um, so purity is directly related to usefulness. So did you see those verses, this verse 20, in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. So let me ask you this from this passage. Which, which vessels here? It talks about gold, silver, wood, clay. Does it say which of those he's going to use? Like, he'll only use the gold and silver ones. That's not what it says, is it? It just says the ones that get clean so that they're ready to be used. So God isn't looking for a certain type of vessel. God isn't looking for, like, only the good ones or only the ones who have never been dirty before. That's not what he's looking for. He just says, can you let me clean you? Then I'll use you. So who is it that God wants to use? What is it that God wants to use? Anything, anyone who lets him clean them is ready to be used to be useful by the master. Does that make sense? I, I love that little um, nuance here. So any vessel can be used as long as it's clean and set apart and ready to go. Um, you guys have probably heard me talk before about, I've, I've read like some Charles Spurgeon biographies or his wife too. Both of them, anytime they would pray, anytime they would talk, the word useful and usefulness just like saturated their prayers, saturated their life. Mm-hmm. Their like life's ambition was, I just want to be useful in his hand. I want to be useful to him. I want to be useful to God. I want to be useful in London. I want to be useful in my church. I want to be useful to people, um, which I think is just a, a a really simple, good, godly thing, isn't it? To just like make your life's ambition. Could I just be useful to him? And it doesn't take being made out of gold and silver and ornate. It could be wood or clay. It could be whatever. It doesn't matter what you are, who you've been, how dirty you've gotten. Let him clean you, and he's ready to use you. Um, I was listening to this John Tyson sermon this week that it, I, you would you should listen to. I think it, it should be called, on the list of resources. Yeah, it's called <laughs> Consecration in the Time of Compromise, I think. Um, and any guys, it's something. Here's a, here's a line he said that's just been rattling around my heart ever since then. Um, he just said, he's talking about like certain behaviors that are good or not good. Like there's, you know, lots of things in the world that we could do that would make us dirty or would just be ungodly, would pollute us, whatever. So he's, he's trying to tell his congregation, similar to what we're doing, like, I'm not going to give you a list of do's and don'ts. Mm. It's like, so he said, there's a, there's a whole lot of things. We won't that, give a list that's not in Scripture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And we'll try to give some wisdom, but we're not going to make you, we're not going to be Pharisees about it, which is kind of his heart too. Yeah. So he said, like, there are a bunch of things that if you did them, God won't love you any less, but he will use you less. That line has just really gotten me deep here. God won't love you any less. So he will use you less. He's not going to be angry at you. I don't think he's going to be judging over you. I, like I, there's a whole lot of things. And this is, yeah, I, I think that's like blatant sin aside. This is more of those like gray areas of what you watch and how you entertain and what you listen to and what you think about and uh, those kinds of things. It's like there's probably freedom in Christ to do lots of stuff. God won't love you any less if you do it. But I think he's saying, you know how I'm going to use? The ones who are consecrated and cleaned and ready to be used for what I made you for, which could be anything. 
He won't love you any less, but he will use you less because purity is directly related to usefulness. So again, don't hear that as some sort of like, so everybody's going to be mad or God's going to hate me or there's you know different tiers or whatever. I think God, God's love is steady, steadfast, constant, wonderful. But I think he is looking to say, hey, there's stuff to do. And I made you for it. I made you a vessel on purpose. Can I clean you? And then let's do it. Mm-hmm. And again, that's the invitation to so much goodness. Not a fear thing, not a is my salvation in limbo thing, but he wants to use you. Um, and that's what's available to us. I think it's a beautiful thing. He won't love you any less, but he will use you less. So let him clean you. Let him consecrate you. And then let's do it. Uh, I think it's a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Um, so our, our next question, um, we said, like, what is purity? The second one that we're asking is just how can I practically pursue purity? Um, and so uh, we'll give a few kind of practical ways to do that. But the first one we'll talk about is just evaluate your entertainment. Um, evaluate your entertainment. And like I said, I don't think John Mayer's bad. I've gone to one of his concerts. Um, I think he's incredibly gifted. There's, But some of the kinds of songs, it's just like, it just, I don't know, leaves like a film on me. And it's just like, I'm thinking about this. Or like... And it may not uh, be like, so this artist is out, but it may just be like, no, I might listen to that song. No, you know? or the amount I listen to it or what. Yeah, so it's like... Uh, I really like Ed Sheeran. Some of his stuff is super trashy. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is. And there's a song of his that I heard and is like stuck in my head. And I was talking with Ben about it. And he's like, it's, well, when a song's stuck in your head, that's what you're meditating on. I'm like, yeah, I'm meditating on this song about like a late night text to somebody that you're a stranger with and then you end up hooking up with them like that's essentially what the song's about and I was like out shopping yesterday and it's like playing Mm. and I'm like I'm trying to get this song out of my head Uh, because I don't want to meditate on that because like I mean it was like that domino video that Carl showed of just like I'm not out throwing around Empire State buildings like that's I'm not doing that tomorrow I'm not even throwing over the hundred pound ones but is that a five millimeter one that like if I just really embrace this song because like I don't know except for the grace of God there go I you know because um, I've like after gosh it's been a long time but there was some like in the course of a wedding you know it's like I have numbers that I'm coordinating with people and there was after some wedding the groomsman that was like the point of contact ended up like drunk I'm assuming drunk text me in the middle of the night and I'm just like and knew I was married like I oh my gosh gross but that's the Empire State Building of like I'm not pushing that over but what if that song becomes what I meditate on and then it's like it's glorified this like bad habits lead to late nights and like then I'm like texting this person who's a stranger and then what happens from there? Like, oh my gosh, no. Like, Satan, get on the other side of that door. I am not even getting anywhere close to this. Like, stay far away. And so, yeah, evaluate, evaluate your entertainment. Um, and, if it, oh, and if it helps, just think of that little physics teacher. <laughs> Boom, right? And just let it be like, that's a funny little reminder to make it lighthearted, but I don't want that to happen, right? Yeah. But, Funny little guy. Oh, gosh. It should scare the crap out of us. It really should. Yeah. Yeah. So um, another experience for me that I remember working through, like personally and then talking it through with a mentor, but um, this was a handful of years ago. uh, I had some friends that 
don't, like honestly I was lonely and so these friends invited me to like watch this TV show with them and I'm like okay I'll go and I didn't really love it but I totally got sucked in and I, I like became a champion for it I just loved it um, and so like it was one of those dating shows and so I was to the point I was like rallying girls I'm like come to my house and we're gonna watch this show and I remember similarly at the same time I was just really growing in my faith and getting closer to God and I'm just like I think this might be something that needs to go and really the kicker for me was when I ran into one of the girls and her husband at church and her husband was like giving me a hard time like teasing me but he was just like I can't believe she goes over to your house to watch this and was like and I like got really like sheepish and like kind of defensive and like, eh. but it was like, why was that my reaction of like, if it wasn't something that was wrong for me? And then why was that his reaction of like, you're at Joe's house watching this TV show? Like Joe wouldn't do it. But it's just like, why was that his? And then why was that mine? And I think that was like a clue. And so I brought it up with a lady who was mentoring me and she was like, she was like relieved of like, yeah, she's like, I, you know, didn't feel like she had the right to tell me you can and can't do this. But she was like, this is not good for you. Like, this is distracting you from who you should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and Because it wasn't just, like, me enjoying it and, like, I don't know, seeing, like, different countries of the world. Like, you can watch documentaries. Like, that's not <laughs> – you can do travel shows other ways. But, um, like, when it came down to it, I was like, I'm watching people, like, serial make out for entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I'm – watching people defile the marriage bed and they're doing that to decide who they're going to marry like and I'm like bringing people to my house and like let's go enjoy this together and it was like this is I don't think this is what God has for me I don't think this is what God has for me and so um yeah my mentor was just like oh gosh good job (laughs) um but then I remember later talking with a girl who didn't come to my house to watch it otherwise I would have felt so guilty but I I don't know I should have anyway whatever but this girl was talking to me and she was sharing stuff that she's just like broken of like I did this stuff with this guy and the next thing I knew this happened and like I don't even know how it happened I don't know how it happened and so we're talking through that and then through the out the later a conversation happens and we're talking about just like what entertains us and I'm just like, oh, I don't know. She was talking about some of the shows she watched, and it was like, yep, bingo. Like, that got in there. And like, this is a good Christian girl. Like, some of the best parents, like, just heartbroken that it happened. But it's just like what she was being entertained by shaped her, um, whether she liked it or not. And that ended up that ended up happening. And... So like we said, it's just like those those five millimeter dominoes. What are those things that God's saying? Just like, hey, you know, let's step back from this. This is not some like maybe that's okay for other people, but maybe that's not going to be okay for you. And so, um, especially for me, when I feel defensive about like my TV or music choices or things like that, um, that's just a clue in my own conscience of something that I need to lay down um, just for me to be able to pursue purity. So on this entertainment one, like with all this stuff, I, what I don't want to do is start making a list of the things that I think are bad that you should avoid. Yeah. Um, because I don't think that's helpful when people have well, different... I've heard before 
in a sermon somebody said like you can't yeah. create what or you cannot judge what creates darkness in another person yeah um yeah so yeah. there will be things that you could watch or listen to that really don't pollute you okay as, as long as you're really confident with the spirit that's fine so I don't want to. St- I don't. I want to start listening stuff and say do this and don't do this and watch this and don't watch this. I'm not interested in that. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit will be great at that. So here's what I do want to do is I just want. I just want to invite you to honestly let Him do it and honestly say, I want to be consecrated and useful mm-hmm. and unpolluted and clear-minded. God, show me how I can do that. Show me what to pursue. Show me what to get rid of so that I'm ready to be useful. I don't want anything to hinder my usefulness. And just see what he might say. Um, so that's a prayer I think God would love to answer if you asked him. God, show me my entertainment, my free time, my thought life. Show me what's polluting me. Show me the things that are barriers between like my next step of growth and faith. Show me, show me the barrier, God. And I want to get over it. I want to leave it. I think he'd be like, so glad you asked. Let's do it together. I think that's how he'd respond. So apart from making a list, I just want to invite you and even challenge you, really do this. Like, do it. Because we all have, we, we're surrounded by entertainment. It's the people who entertain us are good at entertaining us. Like, Disney is good at what they do. Um, musicians are good at what they do. And that's great. A lot of that's great. Um, but it's hard to let go. So just ask him and see what he might reveal. I don't know what it would be. Um, but we're all surrounded by all kinds of stuff. That is, you know, what the psalmist says fixing our eyes on worthless things yeah. just ask God to reveal to you what that might be if there's something you could change I think he'd love to help you um, do that I know we need I mean we talked about recent yeah. stuff yeah. so uh, that's mm-hmm. good okay here's the next one uh, modesty matters modesty matters now I know with this one like with a lot of these things it's like okay what are they going to talk about with this <laughs> are they like I know this is a you know could be a landmine but like I said early, I just think this kind of thing is too important to not talk about. Like, I just don't want to dodge it because I think it matters. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it could be one of those things where, like, yes, it's been done poorly. Yes, it's been weaponized. Yes, it's been uh, talked about in an unbalanced and unfair way. I acknowledge and agree with all of that stuff. Purity culture has done its harm. But purity is not bad um, just because some of that stuff is. So we do want to talk about this. Um, and try to be helpful and try to be kind and try to be encouraging and try to be inspiring because I think it matters and is worth talking about. Um, so here's something I've been thinking as I, as I thought and prayed about this. Like, I know we want to talk about this. Like, God, what would you say? What, like, what is this category, you know, of, of talking about here? And here's something that I think is a, is a phrase that he just brought to mind that is helpful to me as I think about it. That I think there's this conversation in our world today, which, again, has validity. I get it. But where it's like, I have the freedom to wear what I want. Like, I have the freedom to wear what I want. It's not my fault if you sin. It's not my fault if this makes you stumble. You can, you know, you need to deal with your sin. There's truth in that. I have freedom to wear what I want. But think about that versus this mindset. I have the freedom to prevent myself from becoming sexualized. Like, let, let our freedom, let your freedom in Christ lead you into saying, yeah, I have freedom to do this or that. I have freedom to live in a way that prevents me from becoming the thing I don't want to be. And I could live in a way that's like, well, I have freedom to do this, and it's not your fault if you, it's not my fault if you sexualize me, that's your fault. True. But you also have the opportunity to prevent somebody from doing that to you. Lean into that. That's a good opportunity and a good gift. Is that making sense? Um, I just think that's a, I think that's what God might say. One of the things he might say on this topic is lean into the freedom of 
guarding your own life and self and body and image. And by the way, this is not just a uh, female conversation. This is a male conversation, yeah. too. But it's definitely both sides of this coin. I think it's overemphasized one way, typically. Yeah, um, women and, are yeah, able to struggle with lust also. Yes, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know it's typically talked about from a single angle, but I also know that that's not the only angle. So mm-hmm. everybody hear this conversation. Everybody <coughs> lean into this conversation. Um, I think is really important. But yeah, think of the freedom we have to prevent yourself from being sexualized and to prevent others from, from doing that to you. Yeah. One of the first times I, well, one of the first conversations was with my dad <laughs> talking about what my parents would and wouldn't buy for me. And that was almost traumatic. <laughs> um, but one of the, yeah, he's like, very willing to talk about it. one of the <laughs> best, um, one of the like first and most powerful experiences I think that shaped me a lot was I was, um, in high school on like a youth trip. And so it was like kids from all over the country, like Christian kids were doing this. Well, it was super nerdy. It was choir tour, but, um, <laughs> it was so much fun, but it was, um, all these kids that like, they were like really serious about the Lord. And that was kind of the culture of like, we would all sit on the bus and have like an hour of quiet time that day. And it was, it was really cool. Um, but I remember we went to, um, a theme park one day and the group of guys I was with, what well, group of people, but the guys in the group, um, they were just talking to us girls, I don't know, at some point, And they were like, just thank you guys for how you're dressing today. Um, they're like, it's just really hard to be pure in a place like this. You know, it's like there's water rides, but it, we're not in the water park, but people are like just walking around and they're like, you just have to learn to bounce your eyes a lot or just stare at the ground a lot. And so just thank you for how you've dressed today. Like it just makes it so easy to have a conversation with you. Um, and that just really meant a lot because you could tell it was just like this was something they wanted to be like this was hard for them and they had to make effort and that something that we could do just made it less difficult for them and so would they would be accountable for whatever their thoughts and actions were regardless of what the women around them were dressed in um but just like being able to manage um manage lust to manage a sex drive it's just like a diet like it's so much easier when you're not surrounded by things that are off limits Mm -hmm. and so um there's an article on your last page of resources it's um the gospel coalition one but it had a quote in it that was super helpful for me to think about this of just like it may not be our responsibility if someone sins but it's our privilege to help prevent it um and I think just this conversation should be so different for Christians of just like coming from a place of compassion for one another mm-hmm. of just like mm-hmm. I this is hard. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um I I cannot control someone else's thoughts. Um but like man, I could I could make it a whole lot easier um for them. And so the other side of modesty, it's not just about helping other people avoid temptation. Um uh, it's modesty is helpful for how you think about your own body. So you said like preventing yourself from becoming sexualized. I think that like prevents the way you think about yourself. And so um, I came across this research like about um, lots of things, but some of it was modesty about these girls, the um, 
best I can tell, they're not Christians, but they're these twin sisters, the Kite sisters. They both have PhDs in like body image and media. Um, I didn't agree with, you know, everything they were saying. Some of it was like anti-modesty and they were definitely on a soapbox about some things, but they had some really helpful research, um, a lot of wisdom and uh, just like correcting those negative mindsets that women can have um, about their bodies and how modesty helped with that. And so this is just an article excerpt from them. So they say studies on the epidemic of self-objectification so the epidemic of self-objectification shows us that clothing represents an important contributor to the body and the emotional experience of contemporary young women because body-bearing clothing leads to greater states of self-objectification, um, body shame, body dissatisfaction, negative mood, uh, what this can tell us, and what our own experience just living in females' bodies tells us that this is a no-brainer. Um, so what research tells us, what our own experience tells us, is that when we wear clothing that is revealing or emphasizing our parts, we become very self-aware of those parts. Um, we're, we self-objectify, and we're in a near constant state of adjusting our clothing, fixating on what we look like, looking at other people looking at us. Um, it's okay to like being looked at, to even like the attention from others for our looks, but if it's getting in the way of progress, happiness, and health, as so much research confirms that it is for many, we've got to move on to being more than an object to be looked at. Research shows that a level of modesty can be an important tool for safeguarding ourselves and our daughters from being in a constant state of self-objectification. And so we would say like, your body is not shameful, it's not dirty, it's not impure, like God gave it to us to use to fulfill his mission. Um, it's just to be re respected, to be treated as sacred, to be protected. And so, um, the, I mean, this is like for guys too, but like my own personal experiences as a female, but like just, I don't know, be practical. Like when you're shopping, just don't give up. Like. Mm. I mean, gosh, I don't know how many dresses I, I needed a new dress um, for uh, weddings. And I don't know how many I tried on. I'm just like, I can't bend over in this. Like, it's too short. <laughs> like, I can't. And I was like, I tried on so many. It's just like, you have permission to go shopping a lot if you need to, okay? <laughs> like, just don't give up. Um, but just be really, really picky. Like, find clothes that are practical, that you can serve in, that you can, like, bend down and pick up a baby that you can walk up stairs in that you can like bend over just find clothes that are really practical um for what you need that you're not going to be showing your goods um that you can you know like i don't know sometimes we buy clothes based on like i'm standing in front of the mirror but it's like how much of your day do you actually spend just doing this of like yeah it's great right now but like it's yes but it's like no you have to be able to have clothing that that works for your day and works for what you're doing um but i talked about you know, walking upstairs so um ben's brother married a scottish girl and so this was a very Scottish wedding, and Ben was a groomsman in it. It was in Scotland, and so in they traditional don't... traditional Scottish attire. Yeah, they don't, like, rent tuxes. Like, the tux rental shops rent kills over there. It was really you funny. You can get tuxes, but they... It came they... with the... I call it like a purse, and it had, like, a plastic sword you put in your socks, and it's, like, the whole rental the package. Whole it's great. Um, but... but we were staying at this... For the wedding, we were staying at this, like, grand mansion that they rented because there's so many family coming in to visit, and that, you know, it was awesome. But I had this kilt on, and you know, you're getting ready. I did not enjoy it. 
Um, I but, like coached Elliot to say, "Daddy dress." Daddy yeah, dress. she was. A, <laughs> he walked in and he was like, oh, and I was yeah. like, "I'm sorry." <laughs> <laughs> but I, there is. You oh, can yeah. if you search, you can find it. But I won't show it to you. Uh, I'm not embarrassed of it, but you can you can go find it. Um, but I remember this moment of again like this grand mansion, so like this sweeping staircase. You know, I was downstairs and I had to like walk back up to the room, and I'm wearing this kilt, and it's you know down at my knees, like it's a it's a long. But even, I'm walking up the stairs just feeling so uncomfortable, and I'm like you know my I'm like afraid I'm gonna trip because it's like people are down below me and I've got this thing, and I was just like Joe, how do you do this? This is miserable. Like it was rough. That's why I did not enjoy matters. it. Yeah. yeah. Did not enjoy um, it. Yeah. Anyway, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just be um, be really practical when you're shopping, and also like I remember one of my friends when we went to Ozark Christian College. She called it Ozark Cardigan College. <laughs> I'm just like I'm gonna take my wardrobe of like whatever I had, and I'm just gonna buy a bunch of cardigans. And like, okay, so like find the thing. Like, what's your cardigan? Like that you you can still buy whatever the styles are, but like invest in some pieces that you need. Like. You need leggings, you need a tank top, you need a denim jacket, like whatever you need that makes your wardrobe practical. Yeah, um, yeah uh, spend your money on it. I'd say something specifically for guys, I've, I've thought about this some. Like it's it's like socially acceptable if you're at a beach or whatever, like guys walk around without shirts on. And I, I get, like I'll go swim and I'll take my shirt off, I get it, that's okay. But sometimes you'll see like we're at this beach and like guys aren't wearing clothes, basically, like all day. You don't have to do that. You put a shirt on, it's good for your skin. And it's probably just helpful. Like, just because you can, yeah. this is the principle for so much of this, just because you can doesn't mean you should or that it's helpful or healthy or kind. Um, so this is, again, this is not a one-way conversation. This is a two-way conversation. Yeah. Joe said a lot of this. The principles boil down across both genders. Be thoughtful, be kind, be considerate. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And just be thoughtful about what's going to be good for, for me. I, I think that article Joe found and read from is so interesting, isn't yeah. it? Non-Christian I mean, people I think saying, this makes you self-objective. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I, yeah I, it just makes sense to me. So anyway, just because you can doesn't mean you should or that it's helpful or kind. Just be thoughtful. And like with the, so many of these other categories, we're not going to say, okay, so here's you know, like the finger measurements or here's the you know, all that stuff. There will be times. Yeah, there may yeah, be. Yeah, we go on and, yeah. Yeah, you go on a trip and there's a, oh, a sure. dress yeah. code. Oh, sure, yeah, if there's so, a dress yeah. code, follow the dress code. But I'm saying today, we're not going to give you, here's what this looks like. We're going to yeah, say, think about these principles and let the Spirit lead you into holiness and purity. I think it's helpful. Yeah, uh, there was a line from the Desiring God article on modesty that talked about, that article goes into the words in um, 1 Timothy 2. If any of you have ever made the mistake and looked at <laughs> 2 Timothy Instead of Second Timothy two fifteen, you look at First Timothy two fifteen. You're just like it's a different oh, program. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, but in that section, um, Paul gives three words for just how a godly woman should dress, and it's respectable, modest, self control. And they talk about like respectable means that on God's terms, it makes it easier rather than harder for other people to give us respect. Um, and so it's just how are you showing up and is somebody going to have a hard time respecting you mm-hmm. um, for that? And I just think that's helpful. That's good. Well, this is the last thing I'm going to say on this. It's, uh, and we'll go there, but let me say this because I'm going to forget. Um, the two articles that we have in the back of your sheet on modesty are from Desiring God and Gospel Coalition. I just want to say, um, because I felt the same thing some of you probably do, that I was like, wait, an article on modesty from the Southern Baptist Bastions <laughs> of Anger, right? I've, I read them, worried about that, and thought, this is good. Yeah. This is kind. 
this is not the kind of thing that you'd roll your eyes at. I think they're helpful. If, if that's something you want to read or dig into, I, I think they're helpful. And I read them with an eye to like, oh boy. Um, so forever, that's right. Yeah. Gabby, did you have something? Yeah, I think modesty is hard for me Yeah. because a lot of times it is about the women. Mm-hmm. And so I would just want to like challenge the brothers in the room. Like we don't, like we need you guys to help yeah. with like, we are always feeling like we're trying to protect the women or protect the young people that we are working with and like always on the defense and always calling things out. Like we also need you guys to like step up and bear arms with us to not allow the young men mm. to objectify women, no matter what they wear, yep. because we can do our best. But I think it's, it's hard because all of the conversations are a lot about women and how we dress, we are also always checking our shoulder trying to protect the people that we are around. Mm -hmm. So like, just calling you guys, because I love you all and you guys are my brothers and I have seen you protect. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not that we need your protection, but we do need help Mm -hmm. discipling the young men Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. like are around our our women as well. Mm -hmm. And so just know that like this is, a difficult conversation for me because it's yeah it's hard and so mm-hmm. again like it's not that we like need your protection and we can't but yeah. it's helpful yeah. to know that like people are walking with our young men discipling them to know God more mm-hmm. and to not look at women like that those are your sisters those are yeah. your family members like those are people who we are like joining arms together it's yeah. good so yeah that's really I good I don't know just was feeling that a little bit on my heart like we are, at least I am constantly uh, <laughs> fighting off and <laughs> protecting uh, the women that I work with. And so for men to come alongside and bear link arms with us and do that mm-hmm. as people who are pursuing the Lord yeah. and the good things that he has for us, like mm-hmm. we, need, we need help. That's really good. Yeah. I agree. I, I totally agree. And I think like even... Yeah, this this could be one of those like let's equip us as ministers even and disciplers. Like I I think, guys, it's good and we should normalize more the calling out of that kind of stuff. Like, the little conversations or the little comments or the eyes wandering and following. I'd be like, hey, hey, buddy, eyes here. You don't need to stare at her like that. What are you doing? Like, call that out in guys, because I think it's easy to like. Well, I don't know everybody like. I call that out. No, or when they just want to talk about girls all the yeah, time. Yeah, we don't do that. Yeah. Like, it, you know, in your groups or conversations, like, we're not going to talk like that, guys. We're not going to do that. And, and I think normalizing the address it instead of, I think it's easier to do the big principle of, like, guys are responsible for their own lust. And, but how often are we, like, let's address it with the same kind of frequency and directness. I think it's good and wise and right for us well, to Well, like, do, those guys like, at the theme park with me that day, somebody taught them that. Yeah. Yeah. To care. Somebody, yes. Yeah, yeah, it matters a lot. There's no, and it, let me just say out loud again, there is no excuse for guys being lustful, being violent, being abusive, being yeah, regardless any of those of what things. You that, that's their problem that needs to be fixed and stopped 100%. Um, yeah, I agree. That's good, Gabby. Yeah. That's good. Next point. Um, yeah. Yeah. So about the modesty, um, so I 
I see it in another way because of the culture that I was growing in, uh, that I grew up in. Yeah. And uh, yes, I've talked to people about the hosts and stuff, but uh, I feel like with cultures, sometimes uh, modesty is a problem, especially I would say there. If you go to Jamaica, mm. it's different, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. If you go to um, um, Kenya uh, with the Maasai, it's very different, right? You know, the ladies they wear like they don't have, they sure. don't wear bras and stuff. Yeah. Right. So it's it I is cultural. Yeah, it's cultural. So I think with that also, uh, if they uh, maybe come here and they're dressing that way, you know, we might see that to be inappropriate on the other side. On their culture, it's appropriate. It's good. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't know. I feel like it's kind of yeah. Yeah, so it, it depends on what culture you live in. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It is, there, is, there are different cultural standards for modesty, and I think that's okay because the Bible does not say this is, this is the standard for modesty. The principle is be respectable, be respectful, yeah. be humble, be selfless. Because so, is it okay for me to wear a swimsuit at the swimming pool? Yeah, okay. yeah. Is it respectable for me to wear a swimsuit here today to teach you? No. No. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's cultural. Yeah. yeah, and that's okay. Yeah, I so, know, right? Sorry. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. Here. Yeah. yeah, it's good. It is culturally yeah. dependent. So I think what culture you're in, what are wise, respectful ways to be for everybody to interact and to dress and to be um, and be sensitive to that. And then always bring it back to like there, there may be things where I could be in a culture and like, well, it's totally OK in this culture to whatever. It's like, well, but that's biblically sinful. Well, then avoid it. You know, like where where culture um runs into sin then like god's word wins mm-hmm. where culture is can change okay like there there are churches where um it's not a policy that you cannot drink alcohol it is here a policy that you cannot drink alcohol that is a the bible does not have a mandate about whether or not you do right in our culture it's unacceptable and if you say well i'm free it's like well no but in this culture you can't do that and in another culture you could okay as long as it's not com- like confronting sin then you can't yeah it is tough when it's cultural but I think live by the culture mm-hmm. you're in as long as it's in line of scripture so. so our next point ready for that the next point is emotional modesty also matters <laughs> and maybe matters more uh, because it's more frequent and, and easier um, to, to mess with so emotional modesty also matters um, this is another one of those things I didn't really think through. <laughs> it's like, all right, I might teach on a Song of Solomon passage. <laughs> uh, so um, you can turn there if you want. I'll be there for a little bit. It's Song of Solomon 8. Um, Song of Solomon 8, uh, verse 8. And so um, this is just kind of talking about um, just like our, how easily accessible um, we are, both physically and emotionally. So Verse, um, Song of Solomon 8, verse 8, and so it says, um, We have a little sister, and she has no breast. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? Um, and so it's like they're talking about she hasn't hit puberty yet, so for their society, for their norms of just like she hasn't hit puberty yet, so of course she's not ready to get married. But once she is, she would be. Um, and then just like when men come calling for her, like she's vulnerable. So like... 
for us, I think this still like easily translates of just like, this is a person who is vulnerable. This is a person who's not yet ready for marriage. Um, and so when, when men come calling for this girl, so like when they're not yet ready for marriage, like how do we guide them? How do we shepherd them? And so verse nine, um, if she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she's a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. And so there's this like, she's a wall or she's a door. And that's like, how accessible is she? Like not just her body, but like her heart. Is she just like an open door? Um, and this is another one, let me just say real quick. It's written, yes, it's, the female yeah. perspective. These apply both ways. This is not a, a yeah, this it, yeah. is not just a female conversation. But, it's just yeah, yeah. how the narrative yeah. is written. And so it's just like, are, are they like a wall? Do they have appropriate boundaries? Is it like harder um, to get to? Um, are they like safely enclosed? And if, if they are, if they have some healthy boundaries in place, we're gonna be proud of that. Like mm-hmm. we will build on her a battlement of silver that um, could be like, a, I think the King James version says like a palace of silver or a turret of silver of just like, this is like celebrated. Like we're gonna honor that, we're gonna elevate that. Um, we're gonna celebrate that they have strong character, that they have high standards. Um, or if, if they are a door, um, do they just give away their heart too easily? Are they like too easily accessible, too easily open to intruders? Then we're gonna protect that. We're gonna add like boards of cedar. Um, we're gonna keep them um, from just being in a vulnerable place, uh, not just physically, but uh, especially emotionally, I think mm-hmm. too. Um, and then verse 10, this is the um, bride of Song of Solomon. She says, I was a wall and my breasts were like towers. And then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. And so this is like, this is when I was vulnerable, when I was not yet ready to be married, I had those boundaries in place. But now she's at a stage where she is ready to be married. Um, but because of how that previous season was handled, she found peace. Um, like she's able to have like this strong and healthy marriage. There's like safety in that. Um, that. And so like personally, we need to make sure that we have walls in place. Um, we have healthy boundaries in place and like communally celebrate those people that have those healthy boundaries, like uphold that. And then those who don't protect them, um, don't take advantage of that, um, help them understand like, hey, I'm gonna help you. <laughs> Here's a plank of cedar to help you to stay. Like, hey, you you can do better than that. You don't need that. Um, you can have community in this place instead. You can be known over here. You don't need to chase that. Um, and this starts not just with our bodies, but like our hearts, our emotions, our friendships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I, oh, I'm saying more. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, you're right. The time's flying. Um, so when I was in college, I especially in high school, I had a lot of friends who were guys that like, I just hung out with one-on-one. Um, and so when I was in college, one of my friends was coming to visit me and I was sitting in the cafeteria with my sister. So she's three years older than me and a bunch of her friends. We were at the same college and I was saying, um, you know, my friend's coming to visit me. And this guy's like, you know, girls and boys can't be friends. I was like, Okay. Uh, and he's like, no, like, it never just stays in the friend zone. It's just like, either you're going to start liking them or they're going to start like you. It just, it never stays there. And I'm like, well, maybe you can't, but I can. Like, we are just friends. It's totally fine. Um, but he was right. <laughs> he was right. At some point, with all of my relationships with, like, and not just, like, friendships with guys. Like, I'm, yeah. you know, friends with you. But, like, 
friendships, like one-on-one like you friendships. You are my yes. friend. And we hang out. Yeah. yeah, like we we talk about, um, you know, like our dreams for the future, and yeah, I don't know these friendships. It doesn't. It it just doesn't stay there, um, and either I developed feelings for them or I found out later that they had developed feelings for me. And then sometimes I'm like frustrated of like, you ruined our friendship. But it's like, no, that's, that's how this is designed. Um, and so the, I mean, that's a, that's a good thing. That's why we are here today. That mm-hmm. friends didn't stay friends. Um, but, um, I don't know where I'm going with this. I've got, so like guys and girls, they can be acquaintances. You can be group members, you can be coworkers, but like, there has to be a level of emotional modesty um, to protect yourself and your relationship. And I would say there's an article about this too. If um, you're both available and you're both interested, then yeah, go for it. Have a friendship and see yeah what's happened. But um, there always should be boundaries in place um, with people because yeah, boys and girls, you just can't stay in the friend zone. Somebody always drifts out of it. And, and again, don't hear what we're not saying on this. Like, this is a mixed gender group of people, and I hope you guys are all friends in a good community. Like, don't don't hear us saying, like, this has to be one of those, like, boys over here and girls over here, and don't interact unless you're going to date. That's not healthy culture either. So so yeah, don't hear that. This is hard for me. Um, but, again, there's a difference when it's just, like, this is my friend, she is my best friend, we hang out and we share everything. Like, this guy was coming to visit like, me and we were gonna, hanging out all weekend. That's not healthy. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a boyfriend thing. Yeah. Um, and so, have friendships, but have it at an emotional level where your heart is guarded and their heart is guarded and you're not going to create a conflict or a promise that they think you made or whatever. It's not helpful for anybody. So just be aware of what's happening emotionally. Um, I, I just think this term emotional modesty is really helpful because of that. That last conversation is so talked about. And again, I think it's a conversation worth having. So overemphasized to the point that it's sometimes not helpful or really hard to have. I think this one is one we really need to figure out how to have. Um, I, I see so many people in this kind of realm heartbroken because it's like, we just feel like we can be friends in a way I'd never have with anybody else, or you're just my best friend. I can't talk to anyone else like this. I'm like, there's a place for that. There's a place for that with best friendships. When it's a male-female mix, and there's an imbalance of interest or availability, that's going to create heartbreak. And that's going to create a, 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 a pollution of mind and heart that you don't want. That's going to create the disgrace and difficulty you don't want. Does that make sense? So again, don't, don't hear some sort of ancient, separate the boys and girls by all means. Like, no, 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 don't do that. Be a healthy community. Guard your heart and theirs by not saying or doing or being something emotionally for somebody that yeah. is not your role to be. So think of phrases like this. If you find yourself in like a guy-girl, like one-on-one type of situation, and one of the other of you is saying or feeling things like, you're my best friend. I can't talk to anyone else like this. I've never told anyone this before, but that kind of stuff are okay conversations to have in their context. But when you find yourself coupled off doing that, but then saying, but we're not a couple. We had a conversation and we both agreed we're not interested. I'm Somebody's telling you interested. a heart is yeah. going to break yeah. at some point. Then you don't need that. You don't want that either. Um, so just guard yourself from it. Be wise. And this would be something, again, this is a guy-girl conversation. Let me talk to men about being men for a minute. This is something I think can be um, really, I don't know. I've seen this be very dangerous with guys and girls as guys lead it. 
Um, because when, when there's that kind of like emotional pursuit, emotional relational vulnerability from a guy, I, again, this goes both ways. I'm going to be a guy talking to guys for a minute and be your dad for a sec. When guys do this, it, you are promising something. You may not even fully realize you're promising. You're conveying something. You may not even fully realize you're conveying. And it's not helpful. And it's not kind. And it's not godly. Let's do that with your brothers. Be best friends with your brothers. Lean on your brothers in the deepest ways. Or have a, a group that's healthy. Yeah. You know what I mean? When it's a one-on-one thing, that's a dating conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah. If, like you have, if you big, have more questions it matters, about it, y'all. that article, yeah, it's really check helpful. it out. So it emotional really modesty helpful. also matters. Um, again, I've seen this. Um, I, I can think of a couple of people who kind of did this, and they're like, we're just great friends. We've had, uh, you know, by the time I had talked to them, six or seven DTRs about, like, we're not interested. But then... <laughs> taking turns coming to talk to me about how heartbroken they are I think I have developed feelings I didn't mean to but he doesn't or she doesn't and vice versa and on and on this thing is like hey listen you're texting them for an hour every night from 10 to 11 that's what a boyfriend does you can't do that (laughs) because it's going to create heartbreak so I feel like I'm real on this because it matters and I see the heartbreak I don't want you to have your heart broken and I don't want you to break people's hearts Um, so just be emotionally modest with this like open up your heart to right a places. brother, open yeah. up your heart to a sister, um, and then let other things come in their appropriate context. Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, here's the next couple. So those are more like, okay, check this, be careful of this, be wary of this. These next two, I want, I want to encourage you to pursue something. Okay, so here's this next one. Pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. Again, this whole conversation, let it be the big umbrella of not just sexuality, not just gender basic war things not just purity culture and the toxicity that it can come with let this be a big holiness conversation so let me inspire encourage invite you again don't just think things you can't do and things you struggle with and how hard it is and the worldly things there's a reason to have those conversations the biggest thing is if i'm taking a step forward in holiness today then i'm taking a step forward in purity today and i'm taking a step forward in guarding my heart today so what would it look like not just to trim out unholy things but to say, what is holiness for me today? What's like proactive holiness today? What's fueling me with mm-hmm. the word of God today? What's filling me more with the spirit? What if I got other clutter out so there's more room for him to fill me with all the fullness of God, which is something he says he wants to do. Um, so how could you practically, proactively pursue holiness rather than just ridding yourself of stuff? Take a step forward um, in the good things. Um, it's that Timothy passage we looked at earlier when he says, like, flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, peace, holiness, pure. like, pursue those things. What could you pursue that would naturally make you stop pursuing the other stuff and make it easier to flee? Um, and you guys know, too, by the way, anytime you've tried to stop or are trying to stop doing something you don't want to do, no matter how intense or little it might be, you know, like... If it's don't eat the donut, don't worse, eat the donut, you know, whatever it is, donut. it's like you're just like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You gotta pursue, Something you gotta else. fill the gap. Um, you guys know how that is. So pursue holiness, um, chase it, and it's so good, it's so good. Um, here's the next one remember who you are, remember who you are. Um, this is kind of a, a silly, corny thing, but it's stuck with me, so there's probably value to it. Um, for first years when we were in Nelson County, um, we got to meet Kevin Lutz, who's their connection pastor. Um, he's a good guy. I think you'd enjoy talking to him if you haven't gotten to yet. Um, but he told, and he's kind of got this accent, like you might imagine, for somebody from Bardstown, Nelson County. So like hear it all in that. 
But he just said, like, I'm just, I'm a big identity guy. He said, I'm a big identity guy. I just care about identity, people having their identity. Some of you heard this at lunch. So he just said, this is a story I just tell all the time. Like, let's just say you love sloppy joes. Like, it's just like your favorite food. But you're a bride, and it's your wedding day. You're about to go down the aisle. You're in your dress. Somebody offers you a sloppy joe. Are you going to eat it? It's your favorite food. Like, no, I'm in my wedding dress. I'm going to spill sloppy joes all over myself. Corny example, silly example, but it's like, you remember, like, I am, this is who I am. Why would I do that right now? Yeah. That would be silly. It'd be a waste of time. That would be a violation of everything I've prepared for for so long. That's silly. So, again, silly example, corny example. It stuck with me, though, in, in a way of just like, remember who I, I am a, in the kingdom of God, I am an inheritor of the kingdom. I am a child of the king of the world. That's who I am. So why would I let myself get distracted by silly, worldly, youthful lusts and passions and distractions and silly entertainment or wastes of time? Not even evil stuff, but what, I'm a, I am a warrior in the battle to reclaim the world from Satan. Mm. That's who I am. Mm-hmm. Why would I stop and waste my time on stupid crap? There's so many bigger things to do, you know? So I think, it, remember who you are. Don't just like stop doing, stop doing, stop doing. Like, no, I am in a fight for the kingdom. I got invited to join the forces of the living God to destroy the greatest enemy the world's ever known. That's a battle we will win. And he asked me to help him fight it. Why would I waste my time? You know? And of course that's easier said than done. But man, remember who you are deeply. Um, every day when I drop Elliot off at school, when she goes to school, the last thing I say to her um, when she's getting out the car, I say, Elliot, be a blessing today. Remember who you are. And the whole way to school, usually I'm like, hey, we're the Cross family. What does that mean? And we just talk about that. So, like, that's who we are. And then she's getting out the door. The last thing I say to her is, hey, remember who you are. So I don't always have to say, have these kinds of friends and talk to this person and be this way with your teacher. Like, it's not all the little things. She knows who we are. She knows what we're about. And when she's leaving the the door, I just say, remember who you are. This is what we do. We do whatever God asks, no matter the cost. We're respectful to people. We're a blessing to people. We're generous. We're kind. We look for outsiders. All that stuff. You remember who you are. And that one little phrase informs so many actions and so many behaviors. So um, I think this would be a, you know, we've given some different homework and stuff in here. Here's a, here's a piece of homework that might be like fun and encouraging instead of like God convict me. <laughs> this would be like a God fuel me with my identity. Help me know who I am. So when I'm getting out of the car, like ready to go for my day, who is it, God, that you would say I am? Like if God's driving you to work today and he's going to let you out of the car and say, remember who you are on the way out, what does he mean? Like, and, and do some of that, like, I'm a warrior in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever it is for you, like, you let him give you the stuff that's going to give you courage and joy and holiness. And remember who you are and let that inform all your actions. I think there's such deep beauty to that that's way different than avoiding bad stuff. You know what I mean? Is that making sense? Good? Okay. Yeah, let's take a break. Okay? Uh, ten minutes, maybe. Then we'll be back. All right, how are we doing? Everybody okay? Big deep yeah. breaths, break okay? Yeah, well, right. I, told, I told Gabby, I was like, we're going to have to send you all to counseling after today. Yeah, <laughs> let, me, uh, let, me say, let me say again a couple of things. Um, everybody okay? All right. Let me say again a couple of things to, to um, recenter us again, because I just want to be as clear as we can about this. Um, we're going to do our best to try to do this well, try to do a balance, try to do it with good and kind and helpful language. Please, if we don't, 
raise a hand, ask for clarification, push again, or find us after and be like, hey, you said this and that <coughs> triggered this or was hurtful or you know didn't come across right. We want to do well. We want to do well. Um, so please let us try to do well. Um, and, and don't just don't assume just try to help us we want to we want to do well um and then also i we know um in this room just statistically the kinds of things that come with you the kinds of baggage that comes with you we know just living in this world the kinds of difficulty that it is right so um i know that having this conversation can be hopefully helpful, probably challenging, maybe encouraging, hopefully equipping. It can be all those things. We also know just by nature of having this conversation, which is why we spent 10 minutes at the beginning giving you 100 caveats, we know that this is going to – we could say it the most perfect, gentle, kind way, which we, we're going to do our best. It won't be perfect. We could do that, and you still – things will bubble. Things will be hard. Things will be difficult. Things will hurt. Things will be convicting. Things will be scary. I, I know all of that. So what I would just try to invite you into is let the Holy Spirit do his work to bring that stuff up and settle it again because you know he can. Mm-hmm. Um, hear our hearts that we're not, I, we don't want this at all. I, the amount of times we talked about like we want the tone to be gentle and helpful and kind and inspiring. No condemnation. No fear. Yeah, we no want to shame. avoid brokenness. Yeah. We want to avoid hurt. Yeah, and so the Satan would love to turn this into a you feel shamed and bad or angry conversation. I think God would love to turn it into an invitation to say, what if we could talk about these things? And that's what leads to wholeness. And be okay instead of the answer is suppress it. You know what I mean? Which, again, is I think is what we want. It's hard to get to what we want. So let's just try together to, to dive back in. And we know, again, things are going to bubble. Let the Holy Spirit bubble it up and deal with it how he needs to is that okay okay love you guys a lot all right here we go um this next section you've got how do i navigate singleness um any conversation about relationships i think is should also be a conversation about singleness because not everybody is in a relationship not everybody will be in one so let's talk about both of those things so here's the the first point in the singleness section being single is not bad being single is not bad, okay? Um, at le- we at least have Paul and Jesus to look to as proof of that, at least. Um, being single is not a bad thing. Um, if you're single, that can be great. We'll talk about some of those things. If you're single, it could be hard. But it doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean you're less than. It doesn't mean you can't fully contribute to church. It doesn't mean you're not an equally valid family member of the church. Um, I think, I know, sometimes it can feel that way. Um, either because it's difficult and so you bring the difficulty of that baggage to situations and it's difficult or because the church I don't think usually on purpose but often conveys marriage is the end goal marriage is the ultimate marriage is a long sermon series all, all of those things conveys so singleness isn't as important that is theologically untrue it is totally untenable like I said at least with Paul and Jesus as our examples being single is not bad. Um, so I would just encourage you, don't, don't let that sink into your heart. If things around you make it feel that way, speak up in appropriate ways. Challenge that. The church needs to get better at it as a whole. Um, so let's get better at it. And the good news is we're future church leaders, right? So let's lead into a new way of doing this well. Being single is not bad. Um, 
marriage is talked about a lot, but it's, marriage is not the only thing or the best thing. It's not the relational goal of every human being. Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't be. Some of you won't get married, and that's great if that's what God has for you, right? Um, that it would be better for you not to be married if that's what God wants for you, much better, and better for the church. Um, it's a good thing. It is not bad um, to be single. You can be single and just as important, just as needed, just as loved, just as impactful in ministry, in church, in life, in society. So don't let that lie sink in, which, again, I, I know and acknowledge structurally, organizationally in churches, it's it can be hard to feel like that's the common message spoken to you. Let the message of your heart remind you that's not true. What's conveyed in, in those ways, whether accidentally or just by carelessness, is not true. Being single is not bad. It could be a good thing. Um, here's the next one. You might not choose it. You might not choose singleness, but you have to be willing to embrace it. You might not choose it, but you have to be willing to embrace it. And, and let me say, um, this is true of every kind of season in life. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not just a singleness thing. I think this, this gets talked about with singleness more often. Like, well, you gotta, you gotta embrace it. You gotta be okay. I think that's true. Um, but I would say that's true of every kind of season you're in. If you can't recognize and embrace whatever season you're in, you're gonna miss the lesson and the blessing from it. If you can't recognize and embrace any season you're in, you're going to miss the lesson and the blessing in it. Um, I just I just read this book or listened to this book um, by John Bevere called I think it's called God Where Are You, and when he talks about like being in a wilderness kind of season, like when you're just in a season where it's spiritually dry, it's hard to hear from him. You feel like God made a promise, but you're not there yet. That kind of you know um, Christian experience. And he talks about that a lot. Like if, if you feel like you're in this wilderness season where it's just dry and frustrating and you're not spiritually getting what you want and you're just frustrated the whole time or you're mad that God has you there, then you're going to miss the potential blessing of what it could be to walk through the wilderness with him. You're going to miss the purification that comes from it. You're going to miss the opportunity on the other side. You'd be one of the Israelites that dies off in the wilderness because you can't see what God's doing. Instead of saying, okay, God, if you have me here, then what's here? Like, you know, embrace it with a sense of curiosity of like, there's something here for me. There's a lesson here. There's a blessing here. It won't be forever that I feel this way in the wilderness season. What's on the other side? I think the same is true for singleness as it is in whatever season you would find yourself in the Christian life. Uh, if you, it, It's the same with, you know, with the season of joy. I think we talk about these with negative seasons. There are seasons of just like, man, ministry is great. Life is great. Things are so good. If you don't recognize that and embrace it for what it is, you're going to miss the lesson and the blessing of the idea that God gives you good gifts and God has fruit in your ministry and God fills our lives with joy. And if you miss that, you miss the blessing of living in his joy. You're just looking for the next bad thing. So with singleness, you may not choose it. You know, you may be miserable in it. You may be mad about it, resentful about it. It's, it can be a hard season. Um, but if you can't embrace it for what it is, which doesn't just mean like stop worrying about it and be happy. It's not that simple. But to be able to recognize, okay, this is a season I did not choose. It is the season I'm in. Is God present in it? Yeah. So what does he have? Like, find a way to embrace it. I think some of the fruit that will come from that, again, with any, like with any season, if you can recognize what it is and embrace it for what it is, there's so much blessing. You know, I think things like the church could do a marriage sermon series. And it's like, you know what? I'm in a season I wouldn't choose. This is hard for me. I can embrace where I am. It's okay. I can honor marriages. Okay. You know what I mean? And maybe speak up if something needs to be different or if, you know, part of our population of our church is not being heard well, sure, speak up there. But there's blessing in being able to be okay because you've embraced where you are. Does that make sense? Um, 
you may not choose it, but you have to be the one to embrace it. Yeah, I think the big lesson there is about contentment, like you said, in any season. Yeah. Because, um, like, even for me this summer, um, being a stay-at-home mom with two kids, it's like I'm not getting stuff done that I wanted to accomplish, like projects around the house, or it's really hard for me to do my side job. And, I, like, I can just get so frustrated, like, why, why aren't they older or why aren't, you know, like – all these things um but it's like no this is actually I know so many people who would love to have two kids and take them swimming at the pool and like sit and read stories with their like and so I mean you would be so sad if I just like glossed over that like Joe what an amazing gift you have like really be content there and so I would feel the same way for any of you that are in a single um a, a place of singleness and you're not embracing it um you're not finding contentment because there's I mean there's times I'm very jealous of single people I'm just like gosh man you're like going to Europe like you're you're going on a mission trip like I can't I can't go on a mission trip for a week I have a toddler you know like so many things um that in the resource section there's a interview with Moral Revolution um a lady who gosh I think she ended up getting married when she was maybe 40 something I don't know but the way she talked about singleness was just awesome she's like I ran half marathons and I led so much stuff at church and I was involved in so many friend groups and just it was really cool just the way she talked about um embracing it and going in and out of seasons where she's just like yeah this isn't what maybe what I would choose but embracing it there's still heartbreak in it but I think the 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 biggest thing which applies to singleness applies to any season of our life is we just have to believe that God is for our good. Mm-hmm. Like you gotta believe that about his character. Um, the, it's the very end of Psalm 84, but, and sometimes I will just go through, there's um, a passage in Jeremiah, there's a passage in Ezekiel, there's um, some different ones in the Psalms, but it's just like, God is for your good. Like he has good for you. Will you just believe that? Will you just believe that? Um, it says, like, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And just if we can be convinced that he's for our good and that, like, if if he knows that something wouldn't be good for me, whether ever or now, like, that he would withhold that from me, then I don't, I don't want to try and get it myself. Like, I want only what comes from the palm of his hand, whether that's, a job like no good thing will he withhold um whether that is a relationship that's money that's influence that's whatever you are seeking no good thing with he withhold from those who walk uprightly i mean there's a season i was super discontent with where we lived and kept trying like we gotta move we gotta move we gotta move and like then it so many things it wouldn't have been good i'm mm-hmm. just like we ended up having another baby, and now we're right by church. We're right by school, and I would have spent an hour doing carpool. Like, oh, gosh, that was not a good thing. God withheld that from me because it wasn't actually good for me. And it goes so much deeper than that. Like, what, what? Um, yeah, just be convinced about that he is for a good. Um, okay, let me say one more thing on that. Okay. A couple years ago, I know we got to go faster. But a couple years ago, I was with a friend. Who um, we were talking about oh, kind of an old retired working. pastor that we both just respect deeply, just a good man. And he, the, my friend, married his daughter. Um, so I was just talking to him about like, what's it like to have him as a father-in-law? You know, and it was like kind of laugh about it. But then he's like, the the biggest thing I've learned from him, and again, this is just like to me a, a hero of like godliness, holiness, ministry, longevity, just a good man. He said, my friend said, 
the biggest thing I've learned from him is he really believes, like actually deep in his soul believes that God has his best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. He actually believes that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I just am seeing that in him and realizing how much I don't. And I've just thought about that ever since. It was a year or two ago, a year ago. I don't know. Uh, maybe it was six months ago. Gosh. We were living at the Ottmans. That I was don't know not when that it long was. ago. <laughs> um, but ever since then, I've just thought about that. Like, I the amount of time in my life I don't believe that is pretty staggering. Yeah. It's just so hard to really let it sink down deep. But that would be, I mean, think about that. Revolutionary for your patience, for your trust, for so many things. So, like, God really has good for me. I won't get it all the time. I'll be frustrated a lot of the time, but if he really has best for me, yeah. man, that would change so much if that could yeah. sink in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your next fill in the blank is purity is not a means to an end. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, purity is not a means to an end. So here's what I mean by that. I think sometimes this is one of those things that's either blatantly or accidentally kind of promised. It's like mm. you keep yourself pure, you're going to have a great marriage. You keep yourself pure, you'll get in a relationship. You keep yourself pure, you fill in the blank with what good things follow. And I would just say purity is not a means to an end. I, here's what I can say. If you live a life of purity, then you will have greater joy and satisfaction in the Lord. Yeah, there are so many true. rewards. You know, there are yes. so many. But the worldly rewards that sometimes get tacked onto it of like you – you you know kept your virginity you're going to get married in your 20s i don't think people usually say that blatantly but i think that's at least implied pretty often right it's just not true it's just not true um so purity is not a means to an end we put this in the singleness section here because i think sometimes this can be a source of such heartache where it's like you've kind of been subtly promised this thing of like if you guard your purity then you're going to get all the good things that come with it you will get good things but i think god's idea of the list of good things that come with purity is way different than the list we often get sold now i will say if you get married, the purer you live, which again is not a status, it's a one-time deal. Like it's not just like you fell and now you're not pure. Purity is God's gift to us that is ongoing and he gives it all the time. But I think it is like living a pure life is a gift in marriage. Living a pure life is a gift in relationship. Of course it is. But just because you were pure does not mean that you guarantee get it. The worldly blessings that sometimes are implied just are not, they're not guaranteed to you uh purity does not impress god you know i think he'd be i think he would love for us to live very pure lives sexually and in every other realm he would love that because it's good for us but i don't think he's up there going like you're one of the good ones because you stayed purer like that's just not how he works um, but i think that's one of those things that we feel and so again with like with a heart of like kindness and invitation i want to say if this hits you and i and i bet it hits a lot of us um let there be freedom in the fact that God isn't up there like keeping score and his favorites based on your sexual past or your thought life. God wants good for you. God's not mad at you. Um, he's not impressed either by your list of achievements or the list of things you haven't done. I think you would say, yeah, that's great. Your joy is better, isn't it? Good. That's your reward. Like, I don't think he's keeping score. Um, the other thing purity is not is not just to get you ready for a relationship i think mm -hmm. a lot of times it's kind of talked about with that implication where it's like you got to be pure because you might get married someday mm -hmm. and again i would say if you get married you'll be glad that you lived a pure life but if you live a pure life and you don't get married you'll be glad that you lived a pure life and um, that's it's not for relationship preparation purity is for your good out of god's kindness regardless of what else happens in your life so 
don't let purity become a means to an end to you, either subtly or because somebody has said it that blatantly. The end that it is a means to is greater joy in the Lord, and that's the mm-hmm. best gift you could have. And that's available, um, but there's those other worldly things that sometimes get tacked on are just not promises, not guarantees. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the next one. Singleness can give you the gift of single-mindedness. Singleness can give you the gift of single-mindedness. Now I'd say, you know, Scripture has pretty harsh words for people who are double-minded in general, so this is not just a singleness thing. It's a, we all need to be single-minded, like free from pollution. You know, like we talked about earlier, any kinds of things that would distract our hearts. But I get this from 1 Corinthians 7, which I won't open because you guys know what will happen if I open the Bible verse. I'll talk too long. But 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks a lot about being single. Some things he says there are like, I wish some of you were more like me. I'm single. I wish more of you were like that because – some things he says are like the time is short like we've got a mission to do there's not a lot of time if you're spending all your time making wedding preparations and spending all your time focused on making sure someone else's life is mingled with yours well you're losing time (laughs) i wish more of you were like me let's focus he says things like uh, a married man is always distracted with the things of the world because he's always thinking about the needs of his wife now i would say thinking about and trying to meet the needs of my wife has been a source of holiness and godliness for me it also limits what I can do. I mean, the, the amount of things you guys do, like in evenings that I don't get to come to, that's kingdom impact I don't have. I'm having different kingdom impact that I wouldn't trade, but there's kingdom impact I don't have. There's, there's things I don't get to say yes to to go preach or to go teach because it would be unwise and unhelpful for my family. Now, again, there's godliness there. I don't regret that, but I sacrifice something. So what singleness gives you, you sacrifice things that I have because I'm married and have kids you gain things like a single-minded ability to pour yourself out to sign up for more evenings to sign up for more weekends and I'm not saying because you're single be a workaholic that's not what I'm saying (laughs) I'm saying you don't have other concerns built into your life so you can manage other things with a more single-minded focus than someone who has lifelong relational attachments that make sense to you I feel like the more I talk about this, the more I'm going to dilute what Paul says. Just let Paul say what he said. Singleness can give you the gift of single-mindedness. So embrace that season. It's a gift. Um, Here's the next one. Intimacy. Intimacy is available to you as a single person. Intimacy is available to you as a single person. I think this is one of those words like purity, that we hear the word intimacy and think sexual. Um, Sexuality is intimacy, but it's not the only intimacy. Intimacy is available to you as a single person. Because you're single doesn't mean that you don't have intimate relationships or that you can't have intimate relationships or you can't have a friend that's so, so, so close. Sexuality helps do that. It is not the only way to it. It's a small piece of that puzzle. Intimacy is available to you as a single person. Um, So have good, deep friendships. Lean into intimacy that doesn't involve sexuality. You know, have have somebody, have a brother, have a sister that you lean on and knows everything, that knows your secrets, that knows your heart's desires. Find intimacy and build it into your life. We're made to have intimate relationships. You do not have to be married to have that. Intimacy is available to you as a single person. And, and I would say, please find it. Please chase it. It'll be so good for you. So, so, so good for you um, to have. You need it. We're built to have that kind of relationship. So um, don't neglect that and don't think it's not available to you. Yeah, Matthew. Yeah, uh, about the intimacy with the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the emotional uh, modesty. Yeah. And with the intimacy with uh, having an intimate uh, relationship with uh, not a relationship, but a friendship. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe a gender that is. Uh, yeah. So, 
what do you think? Because I feel like then uh, that those feelings will come, obviously, because mm-hmm. you're having you know that intimate uh, relationship with that person. Yeah, there will be feelings for sure, and uh, you're trying to be single, and at the same time you're trying to prevent yourself from <coughs> emotional. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're you're trying to have emotional modesty. Yeah. So I feel like they're kind of you know not balancing at the same time. They're sure. So here's here's what I would say. The kind of intimate relationships you should have as a single man should be with men. Does that make sense? That's where the emotional modesty piece comes in. Because if you're pursuing an intimate relationship with a woman, then you're pursuing marriage to her. <laughs> I know that's, a, that's a little bit more drastic, but, but that's the emotional modesty conversation where it's like, there's going to come a point where this relationship is stuck or heartbreaking or difficult or confusing and frustrating. So have this relationship, same gender. Um, yeah, I think a small is group of guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes it's, you know, really being intentional with sibling relationships um, or um, mentors. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like if you and a girl are, you're seeking Intimate to be friends. known. Yeah. yeah. Then, like we said, that's when it, it becomes confusing and heartbreaking and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that help? Okay. Um, here's the next one. Pursue holiness and Christ-likeness. Pursue holiness and Christ-likeness if you're in a season of singleness. Now, here's the beauty of this. Like with a lot of these, you don't have to be single to pursue holiness and Christ-likeness, right? That's everybody's call. Everybody's call. Um, but you don't need marriage or kids to do these things. You don't need marriage to make you holy or to expose your selfishness. You need the Holy Spirit to expose your selfishness. Um, you don't need kids to learn that you're bad at managing time and whatever. Like the Holy Spirit wants to teach you that. Um, God's not waiting on you to get married or to have kids to make you holy. God's ready to make you holy. You don't need those things to do that. Um, so I think, I, well, I know something that gets said a lot. And this is a, this is a let me hopefully encourage you and let me also equip you as ministry people to rid this from your preaching, teaching, talking vocabulary, okay? Because you guys have all heard this. When people get up and they're making some point, they're like, now those of you who are married understand this <laughs> and go on to tell some story about how, you know. And it may be something that applies to other people too. It's yeah, almost it's like, always yeah. something that has nothing to do with specifically being married. That's their bridge into a funny story where living with somebody has helped expose the spiritual truth they're teaching. That spiritual truth is spiritually true whether you're married or not, Right? Same with kids. Those of you who have kids understand. The implication is if you don't have kids, you'll never understand this spiritual truth. So you can tune out and we're going to have a conversation with the holy people in the room. That's not usually at least the intention. That's what hap- That's what's communicated. So let me just say, uh, I'm sorry if you felt that way because I'm sure you have from different people who are like, now when I got married, I really realized the depth yeah. of my sinfulness. It's well, like, well, that's because you weren't paying attention before. Your marriage isn't the only way God wants to expose that. He wants to do that all the time. I was in a Bible study with a group of women, and I remember them saying specifically, like, well, you won't understand this until you have kids, but, yeah, maybe someday you will. And it was just like, oh. And it was something about just, like, a, a principle about, you know, I don't remember, service and selfishness or something. But it was just like, I, I can learn those things without having kids. Of like... And so I just remember feeling like I am such an outsider. I'm not wanted right here. They think I am a child and it's like all those things. Um, and so 
yeah, like you said, being careful in your teaching and your leading and what language you use. Um, but just know, like, and I, I will say, um, there may be some places you could live pretty insulated from holiness and Christ-likeness. And so you'll have to pursue those things in other places because you don't have somebody waking you up at 3 a.m. every night. If you want, I'll, I'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so like you may have to put yourself in specific places. But I remember the summer I was on camp teams of gosh, like, man, that stretched me way more than a lot of times having children um, has of just like constant needs and all you know and so being able to yes pursue holiness and Christ likeness in your singleness not feeling like eliminated because you don't have a marriage or children to do those things and so again on the equipping side of it I would just say don't be lazy as a transition into stories to say things like Mm -hmm. I learned this when or you'll learn this when or those of you who have will understand it's like not everybody has that yeah John how do you maybe you could just speak into like how can you challenge that in like a way that honors what can you and just yeah. like just live that's good right yeah, that's or good. is there a way to like how do you come against mm-hmm. that like culture because I just personally I see that everywhere yeah and am often very like feel very much like what you're describing like an outsider and like yeah. I don't matter yeah. I don't belong and I'm like sometimes that gets very overwhelming yeah and it's like man how do I like change this culture or do I yeah. like do I just live under it and just bear the weight like yeah I, I would say with so many things when we are offended or hurt one of the best prayers I can pray is what Jesus said on the cross of like forgive them they don't know what they're doing Hmm. and like just letting that go and then finding the places where like can you actively be part of a solution of just like you have a relationship with Ben if he says something like that you can talk to him you have a relationship with Ben Sullivan if he says something like that you can talk to him for me to like go sit in a sermon in a big room and something is really offensive I've Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm not going to be part of this solution. But find the places that you can be, the relationships where mm-hmm. you do already have the ability to have conversations about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's good. And I, and I would say if it is a situation where you feel like you have enough access or enough relationship, it, maybe a couple of practical language things I would say, is if you were to go to somebody and be like, hey, I'd love to talk to you sometime about... Um, your sermon or about your community meditation or whatever it was, um, there's something you said, I'm I'm sure you did not mean to be hurtful, but it was kind of hurtful to me. I'd love to talk that through. And, but I think if you preface that, like, I'm sure you didn't mean to be, because nobody is thinking, I'm going to make a comment about my marriage that makes single people feel worthless. Nobody's thinking that, but they're not thinking. So I think if you came and like, I'm sure it wasn't on purpose, but this is kind of hurtful. Do you think we could talk about it? If somebody said that to me, I would be like, oh my gosh, I hurt you. I'm so sorry. Let's figure that out, you know. But I think if it's like, if there's flippancy to it or abrasiveness to it, just like with anything, you wouldn't receive that either very well, you know. But I think if it's like, hey, I trust you and know your heart. You're not trying to be hurtful. Can I talk to you about something you said, though? I think that would be received pretty well, typically. Again, you can't, you can't control what people will say, but I think that's the best approach. It's a good question.
Okay. I think also maybe just being proactive in like when you're setting up table leaders for a Bible study, when mm-hmm. you're setting up volunteers for high school groups and stuff, just being proactive of like instead of correcting on the backside of just saying, hey, this is something that we want to you know, be aware of this is something we want to challenge. We know these things may come up, and so this is how we want to handle it if it does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, something I've tried to do too, I think this is important to keep talking about. We have yeah, so much more to say, but um, something I've tried to do, I'm sure I don't do it perfectly, but something I try to do when I do this kind of thing, because sometimes it's like just because, like, it's my life. So if I'm going to share a story about my life, it's probably going to involve the fact that I'm married or have children, because that's my life. Um, so it would be wrong of me to never say something about the fact that I have a wife. It'd be, I couldn't do that. But I think if it, like a couple little language shifts, if it's things like, one of the ways God has taught me about this recently is my wife and I were having a conversation. That's so much different than, those of you who are married will get this. You know what I mean? If it's one of the ways God is doing this in me recently, that I think sets up, there's lots of ways he could do it over lots of time. Or then even saying, God has shown me this at other times in my life, and he's going to keep teaching me. Recently, Joe and I had this conversation that exposed something in me. That's very different than, you know, whatever. Or sometimes what I'll try to do is coming on the back side of a story I might tell about Joe or about my kids. It'd be like, I, I'm sure you guys, I, and I'm, I say you guys here in this room, but whatever I'm talking to you guys have had conversations like that with your friends. You guys have had conversations like that if you're leading a group. You guys have had the same kinds of conversations that I just described. Because that's true, you know? Um, it's not just exclusive. So I think just giving the, being thoughtful enough to give caveats that include the room really goes a long way, I think. How would you, like, if you were, if you were in a stage where you were single, but you were having to pastor someone that's married. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I feel like a lot of us, like, we can speak from experience, but whenever it's something that we're not experienced in, yeah. how do you, how do you do that? Yeah, that's good. I think, I think it's good to just be honest about what you don't have experience in, but then, but then like acknowledge it and be like, man, I've never been married. I haven't experienced that. Like the specific way you're seeing that. But what I'm hearing you describe is like here's this biblical concept that applies or or a way I've experienced the kind of feeling you're describing. Like I haven't experienced it in a marriage, but you're describing feeling lonely or left out or like people aren't here, whatever it is. Here's how I've experienced those feelings and how God has ministered to me. Like a and I think the same is vice versa. You know, I if I'm talking to somebody who's single, it's like I have not experienced what it's like to be single in my late twenties and thirties. I don't have that experience. I know what it's like to have deep longings that are unfulfilled, and I feel frustrated at God for that. Mm-hmm. Here's ways that I've tried to walk through that pain. You know, so I think there's like, be honest about what you haven't experienced. I think people can, if you're just like, well, I get it. Like, no, you don't. But if you're honest about, I don't get that. Here's mm-hmm. something I'm hearing. I'm hearing you describe this kind of pain. I've experienced that kind of pain. Here's how God met me in it. Does that make sense? Yeah. But just be honest. Just call it out. Acknowledge it. It's the same like, I think I've talked to you guys about doing funerals before. If I'm doing a funeral for somebody I don't know, I just say it. I didn't get to meet this person. Mm. Um, but I got to know them through the family over the past couple of days. I think just saying that instead of like subtly pretending that I get all the stories, because people can see through that and they don't want to listen. So I think the principle is similar. Is that helpful? Yeah. yeah. I think also with that, like pastoring a single person here or whatever, I remember that there's actually lots of things like that that we haven't experienced. Like yeah. 
with y'all, I'm thinking about college. Like my college experience was not COVID. And that's like really, it was detrimental to most of you in this room that college happened in the middle of COVID, like something. It's like, I will never understand that. But that doesn't mean that I can't help you on the other side. You know, and that's just like one example. Mm-hmm. But it's like sometimes we're like, oh my gosh, married and single, we're so different. And it's like, well, there's actually a lot of things that are different about every single person in this room. That does not need to be the big factor. Yeah. So remember that too, that everyone has experiences you've never experienced. And we don't need to get it cut up on the single married thing. There's lots of things. Different generation. Mm-hmm. We're millennials. You guys are Gen Z. You're a boy. I'm a girl. Like, there's all these different things, and there are things that are. It's more helpful to go if you're having marriage problems. Go talk to Benito. Don't come talk to me. But it's also like there's so many things that separate us. But there's very little that we call out the same way as single and married. And it's like almost shifting that mindset. There are things like mm-hmm. we're very being married, being single are different. But there are yeah. lots of things we overcome daily that we haven't experienced in the same way. So it's like don't get caught up when you're a single person ministering that that makes you like less than because there's lots of things I haven't experienced in my life that you guys have that I can still talk to you about. It's good. So separate that. Like, oh my gosh, single married because there's I can make a list of things yeah. like that. Right. Um, so remember that too. That's good. Yeah. And and like with anything you're ministering through, I think ask more questions and be and wait longer to start giving advice in general. That's it. because. If it's like somebody describes you a problem and you jump right to, well, I've never been married, but here's what I think. You may just be like, wow, tell me more about that. Or what was that like? It sounds like you're describing this. Is that right? You know, I just ask a lot of questions, which usually helps that person boil it down to the principle. That's your commonality. But if you jump in with opinions, you won't get to the commonality. Yeah, it's a good question, Troy. All right, we ready? Yeah. Um, all right, so next question is, how can I have a healthy relationship? And so this is going to be specifically like a healthy dating relationship. Um, we know from our own experience, we didn't really have what we needed to navigate dating. I think we were just kind of making it up and praying and trying to look to people we knew were godly. And so um, I think we just benefit more from having um, – a little bit of just like a framework just and a roadmap of things uh, instead of just like, I don't know, defaulting to worldly examples on things. So And, and hear this under the umbrella of you don't have to date, you don't have to get married. This is just like it's too important not to try to give you a framework to do it in a healthy yeah. way if you're going to. Yeah. Um, the first fill in the blank is prepare well. Make sure that you prepare well. Um, so it's before you get into a relationship, um, who are you? And so... Uh, cultivate healthy independence and dependence and so um, before starting a dating relationship being independent of just like I know I can be strong on my own like I know who I am on my own I've I've got an identity Um, I am able to deal with things to make me feel like I don't have to feel like I'm dependent on someone Um, but also healthy dependence Um, and that would be on God I'm just healthy dependence on the Lord. And so uh, in a lot of the material from Moral Revolution, they talk about, like, is God in your God spot? And so they'll say, like, is God your source for identity, protection, comfort, healing, direction, unconditional love, mercy, security? A person cannot be that for you, no matter how great the relationship is. Um, And making sure God is in your God spot. And that's a constant thing throughout our life. We're constantly reorienting to um, that we're going to him for those things. We can 
um, benefit from those things from other people, but the source, the main source has to be God for those things. Um, and that's not a one time you settle it thing where it's like, now I have healthy dependence on God and I'm in a relationship and it's all great. It's like, I, we fight this battle all the time, just yeah. like all of you do. It's a constant thing. Um, next fill in the blank is deal with the deep things. Uh, just your past, different traumas, um, maybe just kind of dysfunctional behaviors, bad habits, um, sin struggles. And what we mean with like deal with it is like allow God to really heal you. Um, work on kind of cleaning up the mess of it. And so uh, uh, a way that you can deal with it is like processing that with somebody that it scared you to tell. Um, because if this person in your dating relationship is the first person you're processing with, the first person you're like afraid to tell, then you're going to be in a spot that makes it a lot harder to have a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, being able to process it, deal with it. So how do you balance the idea of you need to process these things, you need to be able to identify like the deep-rooted sins and like hurts that have been in your past, but also realizing that you're never going to be perfect? Yeah. Like how? I had that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> You, yes, you do, not, like, it's going to sound like, okay, I can't get into a dating relationship until I'm perfect. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not reality. No, yeah. no, no, because it's like, how many times have I dealt with dad issues of, like, in uh, this season, and then something new happened, and then something new happened, and then, like, okay, it's just, it keeps coming. But you do not have to be perfect. You have to be healthy and on the right trajectory. Okay. Um, of just, like, I'm not going to avoid talking about this. I'm not ashamed of this. I'm, like living in some freedom from that. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, that's something we'll tell people is like, don't say like, I'm over that. It's all in the past. Of like, no, it'll, it'll keep coming. You keep processing it. Um, but are you on the right trajectory with this? Especially like with temptations too. Like yep. it's just like, that is just something that's a continual thing in your life. Yeah. Like, I'm going to set boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, yeah. 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 It's something that like a lot of people deal with. And so, Trying to figure out how to enter a relationship with that, you're just like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very important. Be healthy and getting healthier and, Mm -hmm. yeah, humble enough to keep growing. But, yeah, you can't be perfect. Yeah. Uh, I I guess I would say, like, is the wound scar tissue or is it actively bleeding? Mm -hmm. Um, That's good. Yeah. That's helpful. Uh, Next fill in the blank, be ready to get married. Um. (laughs) If you want to date somebody, you need to be ready to get married. This isn't just like for fun. That's can be really selfish. You're wasting their time. And we, this is, I don't know, we've said like, this is not like in scripture, but it's like, this is just good and wise um, of just like in a realistic time frame, like in a couple of years. If it's like, you know what, I, I really can't get married for like 10 years, then like probably shouldn't start Didn't a dating relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just, you don't want to um, waste their time. You don't want to lead them on. You want to be purposeful because that is a healthy dating relationship is one with the intentions of deciding if you can get married. Yeah, and that may sound like drastic or crazy to like, don't start dating unless you're ready to get married. But again, it's not like I'm going to date you because I'm ready to marry you. That's not it. Or I'm going to date you because I'm going to get married this summer. That's not it either. <laughs> it's like my life is in a position where if this person ends up being the kind of person I could marry financially in the next year or two, that's reasonable for me. 
education-wise, that's reasonable. It's not like, I'm moving to Africa in six months for the rest of my life, but I'm going to date this person and see. Like, that's probably not great. You know, like, realistically, are you at a place where this is a real possibility? Then great. Check it out. Um, all right, so next one. So prepare well, and then uh, another step in having a healthy dating relationship is clarify your intentions. That's your fill-in-the-blank. Um, clarify intentions. Um and so to have clear intentions, um, we just kind of said a couple of things. First, you need to have a clear trajectory. Um, like we said, this, the trajectory needs to be um, not only marriage, but some other kind of specific things of like what um, you mean for it. It doesn't have to be like high stakes. You have to decide about marriage on the spot, but just like being clear about what the purpose is and not keeping somebody guessing of like, this is the trajectory we're headed on. So it could be like, Hey, I'd like to be intentional in pursuing you. I'd like to take you on a few dates and just see like if we can have fun together. And that's clarifying your trajectory. Like this is what is happening. This is where this is going. And then a few dates in, you reclarify. Reclarify, yeah. Um, things like that. So for us, um, which I said, it does not have to be high stakes. I feel like ours was um, <laughs> when we started dating. So. Uh, I don't know if I've told anybody in this room this story. So when Ben and I met like my first weekend at college, and so we knew each other for a couple of years. We were just around each other, um, had some similar friends. But then um, it was your senior year, my junior year, he definitely started pursuing me. Um, and it was kind it of was that, like, like in the matter I wanna, of a week. I want to start being friends. Just, yeah, he's like, I'm yeah. going to take you to coffee. I think we should be friends. Like, okay, what does that mean? And then, um, but the great thing, what he, I didn't have to guess. It was like a matter of days. Um, and then it was like, hey, I like you. And then um, the biggest thing for like having a clear trajectory and clarifying intentions, the night he asked me to be his girlfriend, which was like a week after he said, I'd like to take you to coffee. <laughs> but again, like, we'd known each other a couple of years. Yes. This wasn't out of the blue. Yes. I'm not saying this is a roadmap for other people to duplicate for sure. Um, but, uh, the night he asked me to be his girlfriend, um, he said like, the only reason I'm dating you is because I think I could marry you, and as soon as I, I think, think I said, I, I think you're the kind of person that I okay. would marry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's yeah, that's that's something better. like that. Yeah, uh, but um, and he's like, and as soon as I think I can't, I will break up with you. Like, okay. Uh, <laughs> and 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 I think I said, and I want the same yes. to be true for you. Yes. Yeah. Um, and. Which sounds like, I know, Lacey, it's you're intense. just like, genuine. it is intense. But you know what? Like, I, that was so refreshing for me because I had been in a relationship before that, the year before, that was just like, I don't know where this is headed. He's not communicating with me. Like, I am really into him, but I don't even know. Like, and so it's just like, I don't even know if he wanted to get married. And yeah, oh, it was, there's so many stories from that relationship. Um, I was stuck at his house for Christmas because it was the snowstorm and he didn't even have a present for me and it was just <laughs> so many things but it was it was so refreshing to like have somebody with like no I am dating you with these intentions in mind like this is this is the purpose of this I'm not messing around I'm not wasting your time mm -hmm. um and that was 
that was really refreshing to me. The other thing you said was that, like, I will not kiss you unless we get engaged. Um, and now that we're boyfriend and girlfriend, I'd like to hold your hand. Um, I'd like us to spend and it one... Was a, it wasn't quite this intensive. It She's wasn't terse. <laughs> like, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here's the contract. Maybe. more um analytical i'd say for sure but uh you also said like on weekends i want i want to hang out with my guy friends we're not going to spend all weekend together we'll hang out like one of the days of a weekend and then the rest we're going to be with our own friends um and so i never like felt put off by him of just like it's saturday where are you why don't you want to hang out with me because i knew like he's hanging out with his friends um, and I, I was never, the other guy, I was like scared at any moment he was going to kiss me. And I wasn't sure I wanted to. Um, and, but Ben's like, no, I won't do that unless we get engaged. And so it was just like, okay, this is just, I had, I had a clear trajectory of like, we're seeing if this can lead to marriage. Um, it's not just like, hey, you're bored and want to have fun. Um, and there were just really clear intentions. And that was, that was so helpful. The next thing really kind of goes in tandem with that. It's you need to be on the same page. Um, that's your uh, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Right? Where am yeah. I? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you need sure. to be on the same page. Um, so we'd say like kind of like Ben had with me just like a DTR. And it was, it, we had several of them of just like, hey, I like you. Like, I like you too. Okay, let's see where this goes. Yeah. When you say DTR, what's uh, define the relationship. Okay. I'm so glad to teach you all something. <laughs> um, and so I think so much of what, what we think we want is this like organic fairy tale that we're swept along with that it's like I mean it, you I don't you don't want way, the terse but... contract obviously but <laughs> but that actually is way more helpful than you think. You don't, yeah, you don't want this like spontaneous romance that you're like, it, it is fun for a little bit of just like, I don't know where this is going and like, what's happening and at any moment it could be crazy. But like, what we really want is clarity of like, mm -hmm. and that brings so much, um, honestly, like less pressure. Yeah. I felt like, cause it, I, I don't know, in this other relationship, I was just worried at like any moment is like, are you going to break up with me? I don't know if you're going to break up with me. You're just constantly insecure. Yes, of just yes. And and like I said, I'm just like are what are are you going to kiss me or not? Like I don't I don't know. And so um you want to be able to understand where the relationship is and nothing more, like not make it more in your mind than it actually is, but not make it less of like understand like hey, they're not going to be seeing other people. They're um yeah, they're not going to pressure me to do things. And so being on the same page also is just like um, like asking, I'd say, like for a guy to ask permission of just like, hey, I feel like I'm in a place where I'd like to hold hands. Are you okay with that? And if it's just like, you know what, I, I'm not ready for that, then like you respect that. You go slow. You wait for the time to be right. And that doesn't mean when they say yes, you're like, okay. Yeah. Now we're holding hands. Okay. You can wait for the moment to be good. Um, but also like, being on the same page of like, hey, I'm at a point I'd like to open up a little bit more about my family. Um, are you ready for that? And just like, you know what? 
I I don't think we're there yet. Like, and then you have to be okay with that. Or like, yeah, I think we can talk more about that. Um, but it just takes away um, a fear of like being violated and just like I always know. I know where this is headed. I can be secure in this. And I, I promise it does not take the fun out of a relationship having conversations like these. It, it really allows you to enjoy a relationship even more, I would say. Um, That's good. So here's the next one. Progress purposefully. Progress purposefully. So if you've got this clear trajectory, you're on the same page, you're kind of moving through it well, progress purposefully. Um, and I, let me say this real quick too, with the risk of, it's, it's another one of those like, this is just hard to talk about, but I think it's too important not to say. In all of this whole conversation, this is not a, only guys can have the leadership conversations in relationships. Like, let it be a mutual conversation. Let me also say, guys, step up and be clear and lead and be honest and be open. Find, find in yourself enough clarity and enough emotional stability to be able to have good and clear conversations mm-hmm. with women that you might want to date. Um, because that tends to be an area that's lacking and we could do better and need to do better. So, okay, progress purposely. We're back on. Here we go. We ready for this one? Everybody ready to blush a little bit? We're just going to do it. Mm-hmm. Be wise with physical progression. Be wise with physical progression. Uh, I, I think the temptation for this is to be kind of more vague, um, but we have found that's actually not helpful for people yeah. um, because people will be like, I never knew I couldn't do that. I never knew that was a bad idea. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's yeah. hard, but <laughs> yeah, so, we, want, we want to be helpful and yeah. bring freedom and wholeness. Yeah. So um, I, th- I think it's just a good principle. Don't ever use or let physical things in a relationship move, be the thing that moves a relationship forward. I think that's a temptation and a risk sometimes when it's like, we're kind of dating and now we're touching and now my arm's here. Now you've moved forward, but you may not have talked about it. You may not be on the same page. What's your trajectory? I don't know, but we're cuddling all the time. Like, well, now you've moved to a point that's beyond your actual trust and relationship because physically you push that. And it's so easy to do, so easy to do, and so wise to guard it. Um, I think something that's true is like physical boundary struggles are often pretty directly tied to to insecurity somewhere in the relationship. Somebody's feeling insecure or unsure about what's happening. And so they're either pushing for or rejecting physical stuff because I don't know where we are and what we're doing. And the physical kind of acts like a glue that covers it. And so you feel better for a little while. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So just be wise about that. It's like like we fight all the time, but we have really good makeout sessions. Like that's not... That's putting That's glue in you. the wrong place and yeah. you end up with a mess. Here's the other thing I would say, another thing I would say. Um, physicality, physical interaction, physical touch chemically alters your ability to make a clear assessment of a person. Uh, that's just what it does. It chemically alters your ability to do that. So if you're at an early stage in a relationship and you start to, and early on it's like holding hands will give you all the butterflies, mm. which chemically makes you want to do that more, which chemically alters your ability to make an assessment of, an assessment of character. So play that out, you know, exponentially with other physical layers of a relationship. I feel like I have this conversation a lot with people early on in dating relationships, like please, please, please go slow and physical. And this is not a, I, I never want it to be some sort of like, again, toxic purity culture conversation about what's okay and what's not and these are the rules and you're a failure that's not a healthy conversation i also don't think it's a healthy conversation to be like 
have your relationship and see what happens. Like, I know where that's going to end yeah. up yeah, most of the time. It's bad. So, again, we don't want to start. I'm going to get specific here in a minute. Okay, well, not yet, but I'm going to get specific here in a minute with some things that I think are wise that may feel uncomfortable. The reason I want to do that is because I think it's too important not to. And I just want to, I just want to help. I want to give you some wisdom that I think will help. So, um, progressing physically just limits your ability to make evaluation. There's a couple I knew um, not long ago who, um, was kind of struggling with this. It's like it, they would they would have this kind of like, well, I see this and that's a major red flag to me. I was going to talk about it, but we kind of started kissing and we didn't have that conversation. But I think the relationship's okay. Mm-hmm. So no, 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 that was a real red flag. Um, and the, the same thing vice versa. Like I, I was, you know, it just kept happening until it, the relationship goes to a place where it's just really not healthy and it's a bad ending. Um, so guard that stuff. Uh, another thing I would say in general you need less privacy in dating than you think you do. I think there's this feeling of like, we need to be alone so we can have this conversation or we just want to be away from these people and this noise so we can really connect. You, the conversation we had, which was recommended to us in like premarital counseling, it was like the day before our wedding rehearsal, the conversation we had about our honeymoon was in Culver's. Like, you're okay. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can have private conversations in public. Yeah. You don't need as much privacy as it feels like you do. And it's usually just unwise to really get super private. It's just unwise. And again, don't don't turn this into like, I can never be in a room alone and we're panicked and we're getting in trouble. Like don't don't take it so far. I just want to try to give you wisdom. You need less privacy than you feel like you do. Um, you don't have to be alone to have important intimate conversations. Um, here's a good now this is again one of those like I think this is wise. If you turn this into a Pharisee rule, it's it's going to be bad for everybody. I think this is wise. When you're dating, you, I very rarely, if ever, need to be alone in a house or apartment at any time. You don't need that. It's not, that's probably not going to be wise for you. Again, don't turn this into Pharisee rule standards, but this is wisdom I've seen from my experience and my learning. You just don't need to do that. You don't need that kind of privacy. Um, it's not helpful usually to you. Um, so that's one. So, okay, here's a question on your sheet. How far is too far? I did not put any of these things in print, but let's talk about some things, okay? Um, because, again, I think we've just had enough conversations with people that are like, well, I didn't really know. And I think for fear of doing the, I'm going to establish the things you shouldn't do, and that can become toxic and unhelpful, I, I am aware of that and don't want to do that. At the same time, as a shepherd for you, spiritual leader for you I want to in the context of all of us just say hey let me give you what I think is wisdom for how to have a physical relationship with somebody is that fair we all right okay so here's some things let me just get specific um save what is arousing to you for the wedding night there's a difference between like I held her hand and I felt butterflies versus we started kissing and I felt something you know you guys kind of know where that line is. It's hard to admit because chemically it's designed to be exciting, but save what's arousing to you for the wedding night. Um, I think there's a lot of people who talk about like, I, I think you can make fun of like, we didn't kiss until our wedding day. It's like, wow, that's a lot for one night. Like, yeah, you'll be okay. Yeah. I'd, rather, I'd rather have a lot one night than fight all the time for eight months and just constantly be frustrated and afraid and fighting boundaries. If it's arousing to you, just save it. You'll be yeah. fine. You got the rest of your life. Um, here's you another. say like be kind to yourself yeah. and don't start something that you can't finish um, because it just it just is torturous and so yeah. Um, yeah yeah here's another one 
um, that I think is just a wise boundary. Uh, no hands inside or under clothing. There's no need for that. Um, here's another wise thing to just keep in your mind. Don't touch swimsuit zones. <laughs> uh, there's just no need to ever touch um, there. Um, no hip hugs. This was, I think, language Joe had. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And she was like, you know what I mean. I was like, yeah, I think I do. Uh, I remember there were a couple times when we were engaged. There's just a certain hug, and Ben's like, we can't do that anymore. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's just not Starting something that. we can't finish. Yeah. Um, this <laughs> is a good, wise principle that feels to me like common sense, but I don't think it is because I've had these conversations with people. No taking clothes off. If you're in a dating relationship, clothes stay on. If you're if you're interacting with one another and any amount of clothing starts coming off, that is unwise, unwise, not pure. Um, this is another thing Joe said. I'll blame it on her. She just said, no body parts goes in the other person's body. Like, okay. I told you we were just going to say it. Be ready to blush. Mm-hmm. I just want to have a conversation with you about what wisdom is. Because I don't want you to get in a situation where you're unsure. I don't want you to get in a situation where someone's pushing. I don't want you to get in a situation where chemically your body is pushing somewhere that you don't want to go, but you've pushed somewhere that you don't want to be. And now you're like, just think of some wisdom early on. Is that, is that okay? So, again, with all this stuff, don't turn, this, don't turn these things. This is wisdom from us to you. You're not going to find Bible verses that say those things specifically. I just want to try to give you some wisdom. Here's the other thing. I also know that any number of these things, there's probably any number of you who are like, oh, I feel guilty about whatever. I understand that. Don't carry that guilt. Don't carry that shame. If you're hearing this list and hearing us talk and just sinking down, I understand where that comes from. I would say that's coming from Satan wanting to shame you. And if God has said, I made all kinds of vessels, let me clean you and let's go. That's his heart towards you. I made all kinds of vessels. Let's just do this thing together. I don't think God's keeping a checklist of like, you did those things, so it's over. I think God's saying, I'm so glad you came. Let's do it. Um, so don't let Satan shame you. Don't let him make you live in guilt today. Don't let him make you live in fear today. That's what he would love to do. And I think God would love to say, what a gift that from today forward, let's move on in a new way, right? Like that's the opportunity and the invitation of God. So let him nourish your soul today. Don't let Satan condemn your soul today. So let me give you a couple better questions. I think the question that often gets asked is how far is too far? And you kind of play with that line or you have the conversation we just had, which hopefully is helpful, but I don't think is the best conversation. Here are a couple better questions you could ask rather than how far is too far? What's the physical boundary? Ask, am I clean before the Lord? That's a much different question. It's got much broader answers, but I think if we ask that question, that's opening up to let the spirit do his work. And then let him set your boundaries. Am I clean before the Lord? And honestly assess that. Here's another one. Are we modeling a godly relationship for a worldly culture? Are we modeling a godly relationship for a worldly culture? So not, are we doing this in a way that makes sense? Are we doing this in a way that's going to help us figure out compatibility? Are we doing this in a way that matches what other people are doing? Are we a little bit better than them so it's okay? No, ask the question, are we modeling godliness for a worldly culture? Which means it's going to be different. I would, I would rather a million times have people say, you didn't kiss till you were engaged? That's weird. Be like, yeah, I, it was great, you know? Um, and, and if we had to do it over again, I think we would probably wait till our wedding day, honestly. Um, For sure, no tongue kissing yeah which again kissing is not bad it's great i know it's great it's great it's like god gave a good <laughs> gift for human beings to be able to relate in that way that's great um 
but there's just wisdom in saying we did it differently because what's at stake in our purity was hard to guard and I would rather guard it and be weird to you than not and <laughs> that's okay you know well, so. another better question we would ask is like how can we introduce healthy touch in a relationship instead of just like any kind of time we're touching it's just like always <sighs> like putting yeah. the brakes on and um, this angst of like constantly fighting to slow down like instead like how can we have healthy touch in a relationship and I think that's a, a better question um, your next fill in the blank the last one on this page is maintain a wise pace of progression um, and so this will set up what's on your next page it's called the intimacy ladder but it's just like your pace of progression always needs to make sure that your physical intimacy um, and your emotional intimacy, your spiritual intimacy, never gets ahead of your progression of trust that you have. Um, and so, like, uh, yeah, that's the kinds of things of just, like, don't start praying together. That's a spiritual kind of intimacy until you have the trust that's in place there. Don't start talking about a future together until you have enough trust in that relationship. Um, and so that can be really helpful. I think, um, yeah, you can dig into that more. Um, the, next, the next page is the intimacy ladder, which is, Man, there's a, a few different videos where they talk about this, and it is so helpful. It just has been mind-blowing to me. Um, I'm going to just give you a couple spots, but really I would encourage you to go check that out. A, a lot of this stuff you can decide um, maybe even before you date somebody. If it's a long-distance thing or, you know, you have a, a sister hooks you up with somebody in a different city, or we, that's different. Um, but if they are around you, then you can answer some of these questions before you even date them. Um, I'd say don't get physical at all, like even like arm around each other, hand holding, until you can answer like question five, is God in their God spot? Um, just really, the more that you can push this off. We had a couple who got married in June, like the day before the new one started. But the cool thing about them, they had been in the residency together for a year. Um, and then she graduated and moved on and then they started dating, but it's like, they knew, they knew the dark side of each other. They'd seen each other in, you know, like sweatpants at retreat and they'd seen each other, you know, struggle through some things. They really knew a lot about each other and that was super helpful for them. The same thing for us. We knew a lot about each other before we started dating so we could answer a lot of those questions before a lot was at stake and that was helpful. Um, Okay. Yeah, I'd say we'll just skim over that stuff. Okay, yeah. so the last question um, is how do I respond? And so we know, like, um, we know that there can be some reactions to some conversations like this, and so we want to guard against those. Instead, we want to choose a very deliberate response. And so, um, you know, don't agree with any weapon of the enemy like condemnation or a reaction of shame or fear or anger. Instead, choose um, a response of just like, how do you want to respond with the Holy Spirit? How do you want to respond with maybe some conversations you have later with some people? Um, but just know on the other side is always just so much freedom and joy and just like no good thing does he withhold um, from those who walk uprightly. And so in this moment, our response to this time is just going to be um, remembering what's true with just a lot of scripture. And so we just want to remember who God is and what he offers us in 
in these um, these conversations about holiness and integrity and purity. So this will be our last thing, and what we're going to do basically is just read tons into the scripture over the room. Um, so we just want to invite you to kind of like enter into a prayerful mindset, a prayerful heart posture. Um, and like we've said a handful of times, I just want to say again, I don't know how this hits you today. Some of you may be like, that was really good and helpful. I'm so glad somebody's talking about it. Some of you may be like, this hits every sore spot I've ever had, and I'm mad about it. And everywhere in between, I, like I know all of that stuff. So what we want to do is just end saying, Let's lay our hearts before the Lord. Let's let his word be the last word on this for us. And let scripture be the last nourishing, convicting, encouraging, helpful word on this for us. We don't want uh, you to leave this room today feeling burdened or heavy or fearful or sad or shameful. Um, We've been in those places with content like this. Like, It's just not the place we want to be. It's not the place you want to be. I don't think it's the place the Lord wants us to be. So... Everything we're going to read, we're going to kind of enter a prayerful mindset, be quiet for a couple couple of seconds, and then we're just going to take turns reading Bible passages. So it's just going to be Bible, and that'll be kind of our closing prayer. This will probably take five, six, seven minutes, just so you can kind of mentally know that's what we're settling into. Um, So let your hearts enter that prayerful place, and just let Scripture nourish your soul, and let that be what we be with today, okay? So let's kind of enter that prayerful uh, prayerful heart posture, and we'll read. Remember that the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they'll say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. For by the blood of Christ we are set free, that is, our sins are forgiven, and how great is the grace of God, which he gave to us in such a large measure. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. 
My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. All of us were like sheep that were lost, each of us going his own way. But the Lord made the punishment fall on him, the punishment all of us deserved. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And the Lord will guide you continually. He will satisfy your desire in scorched places, and he will restore your strength. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, and the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations, and they will repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You have been chosen by God himself. You are priests of the king. You are holy and pure. You are God's very own. All this so that you may show yourselves to others how God called you out of darkness into his wonderful, marvelous light. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. 
Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and he made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. And then he picked us up and he set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And we all say together, Amen. Amen.